If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair. I'm with Patrice Boymill. Right now, he is in Amsterdam, and we're talking about Mexico. And I, I'm really pleased to to connect on this. That like we love all the same places in Mexico. So we were just talking about Puerto Escondido and Mazunte and Zicatella and Zipolite. So I'm I'm on the west coast right now. But that this would be like I mean not quite. I don't know if you call it like the east coast of Mexico. It's not really no more Tulum and all of that stuff is more east, but it's more central, I guess. And yes, yeah, so, so have you, have you, what brought you there? Uh, I've been to Mexico many times uh, just for, um, the first time I came there was as a tourist. Uh, I went on a six month um, backpacking trip from Mexico all the way down to uh, Panama and back. Wow. Um, so that's where I got to know uh, places like Mazunte, Oaxaca as well. And I've been back many times, mostly for, for teaching. Um, and I've been all over the country. I mean, January Tulum is kind of a fixture. Um, EPM used to be a fixture as well. Um, and I usually, when I do, I've probably uh, been at your sets at BPM because I, I used to go every year for a while. <laughs> I stopped a long time ago, but yeah, yeah, 10 it's years not, ago. It, yeah. It's different now. It's just getting, yeah. <laughs> especially now that everything condenses into Tulum. Mm -hmm. uh, Tulum is just too crowded, yeah. you know, it's, uh, and they have an infrastructural problem there. It's just traffic jam and it doesn't feel like Mexico anymore. But uh, I, I say know. the same thing. I'm, when people <laughs> tell me they're going to Tulum, I'm like, like, and they're like, oh, I'm in Mexico too. And I'm like, eh, kind of, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm in Mexico. Like you're in a place that has done a version of Mexico. Sure. There are Mexicans there, but it's different. Yeah, it's it's a Western infrastructure run mm -hmm. by Mexicans, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah but um, some hopefully some is run by Mexican. I have so many white friends who do their real estate things down there. Uh, you know, BPM was originally the real estate was was a Mexican family, but that Mexican family is all like all the grandkids are. I I know the grandkids, and they're all like like we went to school together, and they brought all the white people down. And now those white people own Tulum. So, yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? The cartel is not out of the city. Oh, yeah, but... sure, sure. There was tons of, with Craig and all the Ralph. They had crazy, crazy yeah. trouble. Oh, my God. Yeah. And when the cartel decides they want a property back, they will get it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that yeah. uh, be for people who don't, you know, know the story, but BPM was, it was a festival. I mean, it's still a thing. It's more a franchise at this point. Now the actual people who started it don't really, you know, do it and they do other things, 
but it was in Playa del Carmen, which is right next to Tulum. And it was awesome. It was like where all this stuff came from, where the kind of like emerging of like Burning Man uh, scene and like before Burning Man was trendy, before Robot Heart, there was BPM. And it was, it's just like they take over the whole town. And it's not a festival in the way that we call things festivals where you go to like a big field and there's 10 stages. It's just the whole town and there's 24 seven, there's stuff going on and the best DJs in the world. And it was a really beautiful environment. Um, but then, you know, it got, it got more mainstream and eventually literally like it peaked with drug dealers who didn't get their cut coming in and shooting people to send a message and then and then they put message they literally wrote graffitied it on the wall like because people weren't paying them off it was i wasn't there that year i had stopped going already but it's bonkers you were there wow what was that like i was in tulum and not in playa del carmen okay so i I only heard the stories from people in distress uh friends who knew people who got shot and uh, yeah it, it, it was gnarly but you know what it was also a reminder that that is mexico you know mm-hmm. because there's, mexico is a country it's amazing but there's always a little edge to it you know you have to know the rules and uh, there's an incredible amount of freedom but it's respect certain you know? boundaries that you don't step over and, and and not paying off the cartel was just a mistake you know yeah. You, you have to know how these things are run and it, you know, I think uh, it, it put an end to BPM, but still people are coming back and, and, and in January there are a lot of, you know, parties happening where BPM used to happen. It's just moved a bit more to Tulum. Right. Um, it's yeah, just BPM was like a whole ecosystem. Like, like yeah. you know, yeah. D- Damien Lazarus's party is better than anything that that's separate from BPM. That's better than anything at BPM. No disrespect to BPM. Yeah. Just yeah. that Damien is the fucking, he's, he's the dude. Uh, but so, so BPM not being there is not like, Oh, it's over. Like now nah, there's a whole ecosystem. Yeah. So yeah. And Mexico. Yeah. Um, I've been to many of the cities, uh, just to, to play. I love Mexico city, obviously the best. Uh, Guadalajara is also amazing. It's just much more laid back, but mm-hmm. the food is so good. People are so friendly. Have you been to Bar Americas in, uh, in Guadalajara? No, I got to write that down. Okay, Bar Americas is a really nice club. It's, it's run by a friend of mine called Ramon. And uh, it's a Thursday night that's really, really good. If it's on, I don't know what the situation is at the moment. But, uh, yeah, well, hopefully they're taking a break. <laughs> yeah. What's the situation like in Mexico? Are there any lockdowns or anything going on? It's complicated. People- so the first thing was the like controversy around misreporting the, uh, the numbers where they would, they called it the flu. And they, so, so the government would not release numbers. So, so they wanted to be able to say Mexico is safe. Mexico, you know, we're not vulnerable to this. And they just released like lower numbers that just, and, and they, and they just call they just classified cases as the flu. That was the first thing that happened. And then of course, eventually people, enough people, you know, dissented to that. And now they acknowledge that they have cases. Uh, we have no idea how many cases nationally there are on a local level you can really understand it so i'm in jalisco 
And our state governor in Jalisco is like the leader of the like not faking stuff. So he's the one who's like importing the masks, getting the test. He's leading the testing. Um, and so I think like our state, first of all, the numbers that they do release, our state are the lowest. Not, not mm-hmm. the lowest, but, but like on the lower end, one of the lowest for, yeah. for this scale. Um, and uh, there's no cases like near where I am. And they, I, I hear different things. You know, I hear from some people it's fine. It, it's really what's difficult when there's no systemic organization around communication is that you just get hearsay constantly. So I hear from people all the time coming in and out of Guadalajara or Mexico City, depending on the vibe of that individual, it's either a disaster area and it's chaos and, oh my God, you don't want to go there. Or it might just be, oh, it's fine. Just wear your mask and like no big deal, you know? So it's the same thing that happens here. Um, I think Correas is a reflection of the rest of the country where we had, first of all, we had lockdown for a few months and it was, it worked. It was awesome. And then we started to actually socialize because everyone, we were so isolated here that out of the 150 people, you know, we all knew who was, who was safe. We, we could recognize, you know, we knew everybody. So, um, we had a few, you know, we had a month maybe where it was like, okay, cool. We, this is calm. We know that everyone is safe and like we could have dinners and stuff and like enjoy. And I got, I started talking about it. No one else did. I got like, I was the one who I'm the foreigner, you know, I'm the only United States person here. Everyone else is like either Mexican, French, Italian, Swedish, uh, but they own. And I was like, don't rent your houses. Like just, you know, whoever's here is here. And we have this like amazing opportunity where we actually succeeded at isolation they didn't they didn't like that and uh they rented the houses so now we have tons of people here i would not tons but still like much quieter than than it normally would be but i don't yeah there's there's people not so not only are the are there new people coming regularly there are uh, the people who have been here are now like kind of back to work. So they go in yeah. and out of Guadalajara. They go in and out of Mexico city. We're getting like regular, like I have a guy who brings me barbecue, like from he, who brings me food from Mexico city regularly. And like, I just don't, you know, I, I I'm completely like against this, that he's coming in and out. But like, it's just, so they had regulations. We had wristbands and stuff. We were like, uh, red wristbands were only allowed in certain areas and everyone had to be in their house for two weeks upon arrival. Um, we had parts of the beaches that were segmented. We had restaurant regulations where like it was takeout and delivery only stuff like that. Uh, a few weeks ago, they literally issued, it was like the most depressing moment. They issued just like no one's respecting these. So we're removing all the regulations and it's a free for all. It's up to yeah. you. If you want to stay safe, you stay safe. But like, if you get sick, it's not our fault and we're not going to be here to help you. Yeah. And you know it's like, yeah. If you drill down in the numbers, that is not the most stupid approach, I think, to just give people the responsibility to take care of themselves. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, if you, I mean, the, the problem is, is getting reliable data 
you know, that every party involved has some sort of political agenda, either to downplay the numbers or right. to... So it's real them. estate people who yeah. are yeah. putting those communications out. So when I put my, yeah. when I said that we have like a private, you know, WhatsApp group for the whole community. And when I said, please don't rent houses unless you really have to, like the two people that dissented were the main real estate people. They flipped out on me, you know, yeah, and they're the they ones who put out these regulations. Yeah. 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 They want to make money, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 it's, it's quite difficult. And then also it's very difficult to test for the virus because right. the test that is being used worldwide, a PCR test cannot discern between COVID-19 and another variation of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get like here in Europe, we're getting a lot of false positives on tests. So where healthy people test positive and you, if you, the moment you test enough, let's say you have a 15% false positive rate and you test a hundred thousand people, all of a sudden you have 15,000 cases. So, um, yeah, when you amplify a few, yeah. you know, when, when you realize that out of 15,000 cases, there might be a lot of false positives in there that has implications on how you respond systemically. Yeah. Well, what it, what, it, what it means, if you keep using that test, you will, no matter whether you have the virus or not, you will always produce new cases, which means oh, yeah. you, you, could, you, could, you could keep on continuing this lockdown indefinitely. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. And um, I, I also see that... Um, people go on very personal journeys with regards to the virus and you have mm -hmm. to respect that. Some people uh, were very fearful in January. I was one of those people who freaked out in, 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 in late December and January. I, I already saw it coming because I already knew, shit, um, there's something brewing, it's, yes. it's infectious. You saw those images of Chinese people falling into Caesar on the street and dying on the street. Uh, and you thought, wow, what is this? Is this is this the end? Is this where is this what uh, civilization will will will? It die was such from? a weird period in for, yeah. for the United States because we saw those and we didn't do anything. Like it, I, I admit, like to me, it never occurred to me that this was something that we were going to have to think about. So so yeah, I, I freaked out and I remember having to travel uh, late February, early March. And knowing that this was, thing was spreading in Italy and, and, and all, and, and I was really paranoid, even like in the clubs, because people always touch you in the clubs and they always come up to you and they want to hug and, and they want to take a picture. And I was- Which is its own, its own issue, its yeah. own trauma. <laughs> and, and I was super paranoid, always wearing masks. And it's like, and uh, then my wife and I, we both had sort of a cold, that, which could have been COVID-19 and could have been just a regular flu. It lasted a few weeks. Uh, and once that was over, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not afraid of this anymore. Uh, my, immune, my immune system uh, can deal with it. Uh, it. It's fine. But I will not forget the feeling that I've had when I didn't know how dangerous this was, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and the, the paranoia that, uh, that, uh, that I felt, uh, and if I now encounter people on the streets, like young people who have literally zero chance of dying from this, um, wearing masks, 
um, the first instinct is to tell, to say, oh, wow, what are you doing? And you're, uh, you, you, you're chicken. But <laughs> fear is something very irrational. And uh, you, you, know, you, you have to respect it. And, and at the end of the day, none of us knows 100% what's going on. Sure. You know, is this a health crisis? Is this a political crisis? So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been very testing, you know, these last few months for, for everybody. It's a but brand it's also new experience, been, yeah. Yeah, but, but also beautiful and necessary in certain yeah. ways, don't you think? Oh, my I God. Mean, I mean, I was talking to my, my dad asked me yesterday, like, uh, I forget how he framed it, but it was just like, you know, mentally, how are you? Like, like you yeah. know, we were talking about practical things, like talking about like, you know, my film and whatever, like my work. And then he was like, you know, he was just like checking his boxes and he was like, don't, don't get upset. But like, are you, you know, cause I've been alone for this entire yeah. time. And yeah. I started to like open myself up, but then I stopped again once people, so like I'm on the beach the other day and I see someone who I've, been around for you know for months and he's safe but he's sitting with someone who I don't recognize and I say hi mm -hmm. I don't walk over and then 15 minutes later I see someone else who tells me that that guy that he's sitting with is sick literally right now like he has the virus he's not even 14 days out and no one was gonna say anything like I was right like I could have just like walked over and uh you know, and shaking the guy's hand. And I, I didn't because I'm, a, I'm trying not to do that. Mm -hmm. But that, that uh, to me, so first of all, like, yeah, the isolation has been awesome. Like I said to my dad, I was like, I've fantasized about this for my whole life, about like having six months in like some beautiful, insane paradise by mm -hmm. myself to write and read and meditate and drink tea and just like, be alive and and build a, a new routine oh my god it's been in, it's been invigorating uh and on the other side of it that journey i i chose pretty early on to own i, I don't understand like you just said we don't know you know what yeah. is real what 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 is like if if i were to get sick but for two reasons i just I, i'm pretty binary on it like i don't want to get sick because one I was sick earlier this year and mm -hmm. that's why I came here like to feel better. I was sick in the winter yeah. and yeah. I came here to feel better. I don't want to get sick again. And two, there's no reason, there's no win for me to socialize because mm -hmm. I'm good. Like mentally, I'm really yeah. good with this situation. I don't want it to go on forever. I'm at my, I'm kind of at my end of it, you know, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. uh, I'm good. I'm not like anxious. I'm not, you know, there's a lot of people having mental health issues with it. I'm not one of them. And my upside lies in keeping myself productive because I have a film premiering later this year and I have another film I want to be shooting at the end of this year. So like mm -hmm. that is something that I want to prepare myself for. I don't want to jeopardize that to hang out, you know, to be looser. So to yeah. me, it's like whether I agree or disagree with like, will the masks save us? Will the self-isolation, you know, I don't really care. It's just there's a chance that it's bad and there's nothing that I gain by finding out. So yeah. that's kind of how I'm at, how I am. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, I think uh, that knowing what you don't know and simply preparing for different scenarios sure. is a really good way of just going through life in general, you know, because so many people uh, resort to believing. And then they, uh, their mind is set on something that they believe in. Like, I believe in God, or I believe in what the scientists say. You know, I believe in what the newspaper says. I believe in our politicians. I believe in my mom. And uh, uh, it doesn't go further than belief. There's no internal fact-checking. There's no second opinion. There's no checking different sources. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and asking yourself, what if I'm wrong? What are other scenarios? And I think um, adopting that stance of uh, mental flexibility and also being comfortable with uh, not knowing and possibly being wrong right. and, and, and pivoting into uh, a, a, as a new, uh, as more information becomes available, uh, just makes you a much more resilient human being, but it also cultivates uh, uh, a lifelong study, lifelong learning, you know, because you're always curious, you're always looking for another angle, you're always, you know, you're always looking for a perspective that isn't your own. So you're constantly broadening your horizon. So what has this period been for you in, in terms of that exploration? What have you been focused on? What have you been learning? Um, first of all, um, I've Prior to this tour, uh, to this, to this, uh, to COVID nineteen, I've been um, I've been touring pretty much nonstop for the last few years. And first of all, you the fun you start losing the fun of partying and of seeing people. It becomes an obligation to the point that shows where shows that I would dream about back in the days to to be able to play and then all of a sudden it's like oh now i have to get out of bed and to play uh, awakening so to take a plane and go play at sonar or man i have to go to coachella i don't want to go to america or whatever you know <laughs> so so all of a sudden you lose a sense of of perspective and and and, and a reality and appreciation and uh, um and joy and now being forced uh, to um, be, you know, be, be, be basically locked up or be grounded and not being able to do what you love, it gives me a complete new uh, sense of appreciation. Um, it also uh, sharpens the focus, um, what it is that is important about my work, what I love about it, um, what are things that I don't need to return to you know, I'm like, uh, what I love about it is just being with people, just connecting with people. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it's a, for, for all of us musicians and uh, even in a broader sense, content providers, whether you make a movie, a podcast, uh, or a song, or you play at a party. Um, and the, at the end of the day, we're, we're serving the public and, uh, I think it's, uh, especially for a musician, it's a very important and worthy mission to uh, to bring good into this world, you know, and it's and and it's and it's really that simple. That doesn't have to be much more than that. And um, all those things that we're concerned with, all those thoughts that we're concerned with, uh, with climbing the career ladder, making more money, and all of that. Um, 
it's it's a nice to have but it's not a, no longer a must have for me you know i just quality of life uh being with being with people and um, but also appreciating my family much more you know because uh, i just went to my mom lives in berlin i'd been i went to berlin with my wife uh, a few weeks ago but prior to that we hadn't seen each other in months i mean you probably haven't seen your parents in half a year now huh? Oh yeah, yeah, more, but cause I hadn't yeah. seen them for a minute right before Yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen anyone. I've been in, and, I've been here in this house since and, early and, March and, and I was in Oaxaca feeling, before that. Yeah. yeah and, and, the, and, and the feeling of not being able to see them, even if you wanted to, yeah. is a strange feeling. And my mom, uh, I mean, she's not that old. She's like 67, but, um, she's like, will I ever see you guys again? You know, she was really, there was really an element of fear in her. And, uh, and uh, it's like, wow, uh, family is super important, you know. So that was uh, um, definitely an important uh, uh, sharpening the focus on the important things in life. And at the same time, I finally got to read more, you know, yes. S study more. Um uh, you know just, what have you just been reading um a, a lot uh all the way from um from science fiction books like i've just read this book snow crash you might know it uh to um some some of the stoic classics uh marcus aurelius seneca oh that's that funny i had but, uh, um, yeah i had a, a group called Wreckmeister harmonies on uh two days ago and they their uh -huh. new album is built it, like the they say they usually have a literary reference to all their albums and marcus aurelius meditations was was the oh, cool. the focus of yeah. the last album yeah but but also you're just reading up on because uh on on, on understanding politics understanding uh the situation that we're in and I'm trying to get to the root causes of it and you, you have to dig deep into all kinds of different uh, uh, nooks and crannies of the internet and uh, I'm not afraid of uh, of uh, looking where the media would label a corner as a conspiracy theory I want to know you know wherever people don't want me to look I definitely want to look so uh, I've just you know, read up on so many things, and uh, it's been uh, um, it's it's been uh, uh, it's been amazing. And uh, um, um, my conclusion was exactly what I er said earlier on. I simply don't know. I know that the official narrative that is being presented to us that there is something wrong with it, that there is more to the story. But uh, there's so many wild rumors, so many, um, 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 yeah, it's just, just, you know, conspiracy. I would say this spectrum goes from conspiracy to propaganda all the way. And, and yeah. you just, uh, at the moment, you just see the whole lot, you know, uh, it's just a minefield and uh, truth finding is extremely difficult. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you just um, have your own and that that's, you know, you have to make well, choices. I'm, you have to make it practical. You don't even have to make choices. What, it, what, it, what, 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 uh, what the truth is. If you don't, you can also just say I'm comfortable not knowing the truth. Sure. Um, but I have three or four possible scenarios. 
and the future will prove one of these scenarios true, or maybe it will prove them all false and I have to go back to the drawing board. But I'm just completely open now and I, I, I just see things, watch things unfold, you know? And, and something that I've also uh, noticed is um, how much I was driven by fear. You know, COVID, a virus, a pandemic. Uh, I, I, uh, I was really um, started to get conscious of uh, how much uh, of a grip fear had on me. So uh, I've been working on that, you know, just becoming fearless again, because only when I'm fear free can I be a good artist, can I be yeah. a, a good human being, can I make choices that, uh, that are good for me and are good for people around me. So uh, yeah, it's been a lot of uh, inner work, a lot of studying right. uh, and a lot of spreading wings because when you're, when, um, you know, when, when, when you're in the last few weeks before uh, releasing a movie, it's tunnel vision. You just focus on one thing, you, you eat, sleep, and you're in the cutting room or you're in the editing process mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's just nothing else. And this is what my life has been for so many years now. And all of a sudden, this opens up. And I can, on a Tuesday, I can say, you know what? I'm taking the day off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and on the Sunday morning, when I used to never be home, now I can just, you know, take my wife out for breakfast or we go right. to a museum or something like that, you know, and just great uh, museums there. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you know, I love the Sunday mornings in the city when everybody's still asleep and, and then you're just, you know, it's still a ghost town and yeah. the, the people are on, on the market, we have an open air market or we have several open air markets where you just sell vegetables and, and, you know, it's kind of like a farmer's market. And just, you know, see people set up their stalls, getting ready for the next morning, a few early joggers, you know, a few um, night owls returning from God knows where, you know. Um, this, I, I love those mornings and I've been missing that because of, uh, you know, travel and parties. So going back a little bit, you, you talk about fear and you talked about you know, those times where it's like, ah, oh, Sonar, oh, Coachella, you know, what was going on in, in your life outside, you inside, what brought you there? How do you, how do you, you know, you've had time to reflect because it was, I, I imagine it was a minute ago when you, when you kind of hit that limit, but what was going on? Was it, you know, I've, I've seen you talk about lack of sleep, and and substances and bad diet and stuff like what was going on that brought you there well it's uh you know it's uh it's a, a small measure of success quickly shows you your limits because all of a sudden demand is bigger than supply and the supply being my my body and my uh, and my capability to to recover and uh um, as a DJ, the mentality is always, you know what, you can't do this for the rest of your life. You have a few years, make good use of them, try to, you know, uh, uh, strike the iron. It's like an hot. athlete, kind of. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, that tends to, you know, oh, you know what, let's take on another gig and another gig and another gig. And all of a sudden you end up uh, taking on, on, on average, three, four shows uh, a week, but always in different countries. So you're constantly flying. And 
the, the, the first thing that breaks down is, in, is, is sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation leads to character weakness. Character weakness le leads to uh, bad decision making. Uh, back in the days, that for me used to be uh, copious amounts of uh, alcohol and, and, and drugs. I stopped doing that about three and a half years ago. But uh, um, or maybe four years ago, I don't know. It's been it's been a, it's been a long time. Um, but sleep deprivation Congrats, still is. It, it it was easier than uh, uh, than I than I anticipated. Oh wow! Um, Amazing. Let me let me get back to how yeah, I yeah. did it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the last few years it was simply I was just putting too much hay on my fork, so to speak. You know, I was just uh, biting off more than I could chew. I was playing uh, too much, and uh, when you continuously sleep three, four, five hours a night, and you do that for a couple of months, you come, uh, you land in, 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 in a mental state where uh, your short-term memory stops playing tricks on you, you know? So I would have dinner with someone the night before and I see them the next day and I wouldn't even remember their face anymore, you know? So, um, um, and when you're t t super tired, you also sleep worse and it compounds, you know? It's like a vicious circle. And uh, uh, and then it's easy to also fall in some sort of depression. You know, when you when you when you're not rested, depression is rears its ugly head really quickly. Uh, and I'm not really prone to it, but there's there are limits, and when you pass those limits, I'm you know I become a bit of a miserable bastard myself. And then um, on top of that, uh, the pressure from the people when people start recognizing you uh, on the street, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to pretend I'm Michael Jackson. Uh, it's, it's, I can still walk down the street just fine almost everywhere. But when you're in a party situation or in a festival situation and you walk across uh, the, the, the festival area and by the end of that walk, you've had hundred superficial conversations uh, selfie requests and all and and, and I, I love to do it i think it's it's absolutely uh it, it's um, it's my task to make fans happy they 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 are my customers and i would do anything for them uh, uh that is within my powers but it eats on you you know mm -hmm. and at some point i had nothing left to give and then you still have a whole summer ahead of you with festivals and travel and all. And, uh, and then it becomes just, you know, automatic pilot sort of. And, and that's where you, where, you, where you stop appreciating the stuff that you normally... What you was know, your put. driving factor in those moments? You know, is it like, I'm going to save a bunch of money, this, the fees are good? Is it, you know, what... Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It's yeah. just banking, was, banking money because I could do something with it at some point? yeah feed the family it's like mm -hmm. you know um br bring home the bacon feed the family make sure we're safe um it's, it's my background um i'm east german and our mentality was i uh, was never go into debt don't borrow money from uh, from uh, from anyone uh save for a rainy day um so, uh, so I, I have kind of like almost an obsessive mindset with uh, securing survival, <laughs> you know? 
which is unnecessary. I could just live this life like I'm playing a computer game, like I'm playing Gran Turismo or something. And I think I would be more capable and would have more fun than having this survivalist attitude, which I sometimes have, but it's just, it's just my upbringing. It's just hard to snap out of it. So I just, you know, I've always felt this responsibility of just, you know, providing for my family first. And then you just go out there and, and, and you, you do what has to be done at, at all costs. I hear a lot of, do you, do you think that you came around to this? So I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm 35. And mm-hmm. when I was, I stopped DJing nightly a few years ago, probably, you know, probably, probably 20. I moved to Los Angeles at the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. And I, you- oh, oh, sorry, I'm from New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, so my, my DJ, my, like I'm DJing every night years were in New York. Um, yeah. and, and I toured not like you toured, but like, you know, I would tour a few times a year. Um, I never leaned into it as like a, like my production artist stuff is more happening now than then I was more of like a label. Like I was be, I was DJ guy and also producing events and also doing the label. So it didn't require me touring as much, but I played six nights a week. Um, yeah. And I, when I moved to Los Angeles, I, I thought I was going to keep doing that, but I stopped because it sucked. I hated it so much. And I was just like, it was just different Los Angeles culture versus New York culture. And I was cool with the reason why I was there being more industry oriented, but the club stuff yeah. and the underground stuff, I hated so much. And every time I would do it, I would get not just drained, but angry. Like literally, like I would, I'll yeah. describe to people now, like I don't raise my voice. Like, I'll have a relationship for three years and like one or two times did I ever raise my voice. But Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, when I would be deep, like there was someone who was working with me and she heard me raise my voice nightly, like for weeks. And, and it, it, it was very fast that I was like, I can't, you know, I can't do it. Like I can't argue with people over $400 every day and I can't, tell people that they got me the wrong mixer or that they aren't letting my friend in at the door. I can't do it every, I can't like, I can't, that's what got me to stop. And I was already kind of on my way cause I was leaning in more toward the, the daytime work. Um, mm-hmm. And I still love DJing and, and I still DJ all the time. Just, I, I stopped doing the, like, I'm going to play this club cause it's, it's, I'm going to play every night cause it's like what I do. I stopped that. So it became more of like, I'm deep, like there needs to be a reason why I'm DJing rather than it's my default. Um, but, uh, sorry, I was just giving you a little like context. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I never had a wellness conversation once. I never had a, what are you eating? You know, we played till, you know, after hours every night. And I would do the same thing you did, you know, with your residencies, like six, seven hours. Like that's how I started, you know, $300 a night, which was amazing, by the way, like $300 a night was amazing. That that's how I started. I didn't always get that. I, afterwards I went down because I started doing more, but my first gig was $300 a night, 10 PM to 4 AM. And that was like looking back on that, that I had a secure months out. $300 a night Friday night gig that the room was going to be full every time. Like what a fucking blessing 
that I, I was so gifted with that, that, that I was, I received this gift. Um, yeah, a guy yeah. named Michael Gogel, he booked my first residency. It was Friday night and I had $300 for a six hour set. And it was, Where was that? good. It, like not even, it was the reason why I guess was cause it was like a faux club. It was mm -hmm. under union square. Uh, it was union square lounge. Um, it was mm -hmm. under, uh, uh, the, what, not, not fuck. Wow. My memory's fucked. Uh, coffee shop, you know, coffee shop on union square in New York. Um, it closed a couple maybe. of years ago, but it was the spot. It was, okay. it was this Brazilian fusion restaurant. Uh, do you know who Jelly Bean Benitez is? The DJ. Yeah. So his wife, Carolyn, yeah. mm -hmm. it was her restaurant. It was the coolest. Okay. It was, it was, yeah. and, and then downstairs there was a club. So I did that club every Friday night for a while. And that was the first thing that I did as a DJ other than like, you know, random like hobby kind of stuff. That was the first time I was like, okay, I'm going to like, it's my night. And it's like Sean Glass Friday nights at Union Square Lounge. But what um, kind of music were you playing at the time? Then I'm in all over the place. I wasn't really DJing. I mean, not, not to make this like my whole fucking life story, but like, um, <laughs> at that, I started as so New York culture is different than than Europe, especially at that time. Dance music was an underground thing, was a niche thing. It was not there was no like resident advisor was barely a thing. This is you know early yeah. twenty. This is like twenty eleven, twenty ten. You know around then, maybe earlier, maybe two thousand nine. I don't know around then, but like resident advisor is not no one knows what resident advisor is only the heads know uh my uncle is is 20 plus year nervous records and he's been like you know new york city house music for his whole life um but that's another thing it's like it's not mainstream culture so my mainstream club culture was open format so mm -hmm. the way i got into it was open format was play some cool stuff like it wasn't even people dancing it was just it was vibes so I'd be it's playing. A great, it's Sorry? a great way of learning. It's, it's a great way of learning to DJ. Just it you was know, a great it. bridge for me. Yeah, I started as a hip hop DJ as a, with, with you know scratching with turntablism in high school. Mm -hmm. That's how I learned. But I never thought of that as a job. I never thought of that as a thing I would do for other people. I, I did it in a bedroom with like two other guys who were really good, and they taught me. And that was it. I never thought that I would do that for other people. Um, I would have to get it there. They were like, you know, competing all the time. Um, Merge, he like, he won the, uh, he, he, he won two years in a row. Um, and he taught me, but I never thought I was going to do that elsewhere. So when I first took the idea of doing this elsewhere, uh, was, was with when Mike asked me and uh, I was making films, but I like was making, you know, putting all the money back into them and it was not going where I wanted it to go. And it was like, fuck, okay, I can get $300 without having to like reinvest that in something. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. fuck it. But I was playing, I was using Serato and I was just playing like songs that I really liked. And, and that was it. Yeah. I wasn't really even like mixing properly. Cause I didn't know how I just knew how to like do edits and scratch and loop and stuff. Um, yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. learning how to like blend house music, you know, but it, about uh, six months in maybe, uh, once I was like a little more technically sound, I had a really good DJ looking over my shoulder and saw that I was using house music technique to blend 
open format and hip hop records. And I wasn't, and he was like, he asked me why. And I was like, I didn't understand what he meant. Uh, because what was embedded in me was dance music from when I was a kid. The DJs who I yeah. knew as a kid, the principles that were taught to me were like how to how you touch or don't touch vinyl and stuff like that. It was not hip hop DJs. So hip hop DJs taught me technique, but principles were taught to me by dance music. So I applied my principles above my technique and I discarded a lot of my technique when I actually played live. So he was watching me and he's like, you're not doing any of the things that like, you know, you're supposed to be doing. And then he said, try these records. And he, he, you know, I had some 118 BPM disco and house music and stuff in there. And he said, try doing that same thing on this. And I did. And I was like, oh, that's what I've been. That's it. And, and that, that's the rest of my life. You know, <laughs> Like that moment when I blended those two records um, was like, oh, that's what I was looking for this whole time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think this, this is the eureka moment that so many uh -huh. of us had. Yeah. It's just that magic of creating something new out of two separate things. Oh, yeah. I still do it's that so blend. Addictive. Like, I know yeah. exactly what the blend is, and I still do it. It was magic. It was like, oh, my God. Like, that's why I'm, that's why I'm relevant in this scenario. You know, that's, I, there's an equation, and I have a part of it. But beforehand, I did yeah. not feel that. I felt that I was just a cool guy who's born and raised in New York, knows a lot of people, and, like, might as well be me playing the music. And I felt lucky to be the one who was able to do that. Cause like, okay, cool. Everyone's out here spending $150 a night. I'm getting paid, getting free drinks. All my friends get to come. Like I surround myself with people I like and like I get to play like random shit that, you know, music that I want to hear. That's how I thought about it. But I didn't consider myself like a, a good DJ. And then once I learned dance music, I started playing. Then it was like, okay, cool. I can like, what else is going on? Um, and I started getting the the hipster clubs you know the open format clubs to do dance music so I, that was like my relevance i was the crossover guy you know so i would do the warehouse parties in bushwick early days and like before people knew that it was you know before it was on hbo and shit um and i would do that and then on weeknights i would do manhattan and i was the one who got them to start like i got the the rock clubs to do house music nights and and mm -hmm. I, I i would program all the hotel venues and stuff like that like i got soho house to do parties i was the first person to get soho house to throw parties and the standard hotel boom boom room i was the resident there and they let me throw parties it wasn't just like you know a private affair it was like there's a night and there's a flyer and we're having like dance music and people are supposed to dance it's a club and that was my thing and that turned and then that turned into you know label stuff um in the same way but okay but i got into that because throughout all of that there was never any like i'm not feeling well or you know so so we would you know every night for years yeah. it was playing till you know sometime between 2 and 7 a.m. and then getting artichoke pizza and Wohop Chinese food, you know, we went, we would go to cafeteria and get, you know, I would get Arigo Vare and fries and like a burger or something, you know, I didn't, I don't, I never did drugs. I, I just, I never did drugs, but I would drink every night and I'd go to bed sober pretty much every night. I wasn't like a huge drunk, but I drank every night and we never talked about this. No one ever talked about any of this. In the last few years, 
I have friends popping up and you know, it, it's like the health and wellness trendiness yeah. became the way that dance music reacted to it. it. It wasn't the other way around. Like we went to Tulum for 10 years. No one was doing yoga. Like we were talking about that. Like the off days were like, I remember sitting at like Aha Tulum and like, I remember like Johnny White was the fucking coolest. And I didn't know him then, but he was the, f- I, I always looked at him and he's the, f- Damien's like the, like the, the, the God of it all. But I just thought Johnny White was the fucking coolest. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I'm, I'm honored to, to, to call him a friend at this stage of life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I remember for the first, no, I tell me, Johnny yeah. in Tulum, Tulum for the first time. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I remember yeah, seeing I him on the a, beach at Aha Tulum. Party. <laughs> yeah, he he's so he plays all of those parties, and I just remember seeing him on an off day at the beach at this tiny like the first the first boutique Tulum hotel is Aha Tulum, and uh, we were on mm-hmm. the beach there, and he was just with like the hottest girls, like girls that I know I'll never get to like like get to even talk to, and it was just otherworldly, and I was I was just look it was like ten people there total, I, I wouldn't even talk to him, you know, this was like early days, I was a kid. And like, I just thought he was the fucking coolest, but that was the off day. It was chilling on the beach, getting drunk with hot girls and tons of drugs. You know, I, like, like the, literally I remember hearing, you know, the cocaine and ketamine songs on like on the soundtrack. Like it was drugs 24 seven. Everyone was drunk 24 seven. Nobody ate. Like we didn't even go to dinner. It was straight through solomon would always be doing it you know there was always solomon was always playing somewhere Mm -hmm. and no one gave a fuck about any of this so like we were there you know tulum is now this like health and wellness you know epicenter yeah literally like i was there for 10 years it was never mentioned and we were so disgusting my house that it was disgusting there were there would be passed out girls like you know sleeping it off who like people ODing. I, I would get sick. I, I got sick a few times, like from, you know, from, from drinking the wrong bottle of water or having an avocado or something like that. Moxism mm-hmm. is revenge kind of stuff. Um, just no one cared about anything. When I got sick, I remember I left the house and checked myself into a hotel to like, you know, withdraw basically <laughs> like it was the worst, but like no one gave a shit. Everyone kept partying. No one was like, how's Sean? Like, and I didn't expect it. I wasn't upset by that. I, I didn't feel like, you know, dishonored by that. It was just the way, like, we're just trashing ourselves. And that's mm-hmm. what we, how we live. We're just going, you know, like you said, too much hay on the fork. Like, that is, a, that is our baseline. And that's yeah. just, and I was the one who didn't do drugs. Everyone else did tons of drugs. But I was still trashing myself. So I, I don't know, sorry, like roundabout, thread but did you feel you know for yourself like an emergence what was what was your balance kind of of what of your personal realizations and your shared realizations with other people around you and then I guess when it eventually got out to the culture um well I, you know, I went through the similar phases, especially when, when, when you're younger and, the, you know, there is, first of all, 
the demands on 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 a hobby DJ, and I was a hobby DJ for most of my life before it got serious. So, um, um, the demands on a hobby DJ are vastly vastly different. You know, it's okay to be hungover the next day because you can sleep. Hobby in. DJ meaning like the opener, the person yeah, who maybe yeah, books the night, but books yeah. the headliner. You know. It, makes under a thousand dollars and you know tours here and yeah. there is part of the scene is like a diehard but like not exactly. killing it you know and not like making those living. people are totally. suffering right now because they they lost their you know three residencies that they have weekly that nets them about a thousand dollars and those people are fucked because they had no yeah. savings they were living not month to month week to week and yeah it's it's it's, it's difficult um but you know um at some point you live that life and you realize um you are not hitting your potential because you're not performing at the top of your game whereas the competi competition does the sleep it's a very competitive market and i was looking around me and you know people were you know i looked around me constantly in that period of my life the anxiety was so overwhelming to, to not just other DJs, but my friend who was just, you know, to, to the managers, to the, I looked at everybody. I mean, I mean, look at, and in New York, people I rub it in. Huh? It's, yes. it's, 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 so, it's also so success and money focused as a, as, as, as a city. Uh, and, and for me as well, you know, uh, I was, uh, I realized that I was just unhappy. I was blaming, I'm such a good DJ, why not me? Why other people? Yeah, and, that's what I'm, I, I thought that every you know? day. I was yeah. angry on both sides. I was angry at, you know, my, I wanted to be more, and I was also angry at whenever I'd, I would get somewhere, whenever I would cross a threshold, I would be mad that I had to do it myself. And I would say, I, I, would, I would think this kind of fuck you, I did it anyway to the people who didn't help me. So I, I used to talk a lot about, because when I started, I would hit up p other DJs and be like, can I open for you for free and stuff like that. Like some people have those nice stories. I don't. No one helped me out. Everyone yeah. was actually protective against me because, I, I, well, actually, I, I shouldn't give a because I don't really know. But part of it was because I changed formats. I was, when I came in, I, I would adjust. Sean Glass DJing meant that the, the club was shifting format. And well, yeah, no one helped also, me do that. And also when you're DJing at a local level, it's a continuous dogfight. Yeah. I think yeah. the competition is quite brutal at that level. Uh, once you get to the point where, you know, uh, everybody's doing well around you because then you're looking around and you see the guys. Yeah, when you're booked on a lineup and there's six DJs yeah. and they're all like charting yeah, on, Bill, yeah. on Beatport and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and they're like, you know, Maceo, Dixon, uh, Telovas or whoever, you know, household names. Um, there isn't that, that, um, that aura of uh, scarcity anymore, you know? Everybody's belly is kind That's of nice. full. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit more chilled. But still, um, it's highly competitive. And um, living that party lifestyle of, you know, after parties, uh, cocaine and, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and basically being out there uh, until Tuesday and then sleeping for two days. Um, it's too competitive. 
to be able to really make waves doing this for years. You can have a good Did year. Did people talk about that when you were in it? Um, not really. Um, sometimes I've, uh, I, 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 for me, it was more an observational thing. Um, that, were, that came were a you point married of, at this time or no? Um, no, no, I wasn't, okay. but I was in a, I was in a relationship. Um, still am. Uh, um, um, now we're married. Beautiful. But um, <laughs> there, there came a point where I had to be honest to myself and I was like, uh, you have to stop blaming others. And you, if you want to live, if you want to have the life of, uh, of, of a successful touring artist, uh, you have to change. And what I, what, I, what I did is I was looking at people who uh, were already successful in that area where I wanted to gain some success in. And I simply analyzed them and I modeled myself after them. So Who were those people? Uh, um, for, uh, if you remember anyone. Well, yeah. well, yes, yes, yes. One of the guys is my neighbor, Joris uh, Vorn. Maybe you've heard of, of him. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yours. Uh, he he lives just five minutes from here. Cool. And he's. Uh, I should have him he, on too. He's great. I love him. Yeah. He he's a, he's a, he's a very thoughtful guy. He's a very disciplined guy, uh, and he works his ass off. And he everything every career move he does has a purpose. So there's a there's a bigger vision. It's not just you know, party till the break of dawn and let's see where this uh, ship uh, lands. No, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a strategy and uh, that has helped him to stay relevant for the better part of 20 years. Yeah. Um, where I've seen so many people come and go, you know, some people are hot for two or three years and then they simply disappear because they, because they party. And even the ones that keep doing well, if you have a drug problem, your artistic output is never going to hit that level of your peak again. So um, I see that so much. Uh, very successful artists, they keep on being booked for high fees because they have a lot of fans and that doesn't go away overnight. But um, if you look at the records that made them famous, they don't keep coming anymore, you know? So I, I, uh, I sadly have, as you're talking, I, I have so many people that I think of in this description yeah so um uh, so i realized you cannot have it all you have to make choices and if you want to have a, a long lasting career and i got into it pretty late i mean i've been djing since i was 17 but i i started actually making a living off of djs when i was your age before that oh it was, it's only been that okay yeah 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 before that it was hand to mouth i'm 44 now so i'm nine years older than you are Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, I've been living the starving artist's life, uh, the hobby DJ's life forever and ever. That, and so that's what really, year did you get to the point where that you described where like you're, you know, you're hanging out with Maceo and Dixon and whatnot and you're, you're, you can that, bank some from a tour, you know? Um, do you mean what what year was I? Where, where yeah, I'm I was, just trying to think oh, of uh, like in your the music that I've listened to of yours. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of correlate that to because I, I don't remember like when I, you know where you were at what shows and stuff. Like I just, I, I know labels. That, I know yeah. It's it started. I think that feeling of being arrived in a in a place where I was super comfortable 
I think that was around 2015. Okay. Before, and before that, that before that, I really had that uh, period of, you know, working on my self-discipline and uh, on soul searching and goal setting and, uh, and remodeling myself. And also, especially taking responsibility for my shortcoming, not blaming other people, but just fully owning up to, you know, I am here because of the things that I've done and that I haven't done. Mm-hmm. So um, that was... Uh, um, and, and, and I needed to come to that point where I was completely 100% honest to myself. And from there on, I started working my way from the ground up. And musically, I had no focus. I just did something in the studio and I was wondering, hey, why isn't it catching on? And, and, and then I analyzed it and I was thinking, I need to make records that, is, that are being played by a lot of people. And what records do people like? Big bangers. Everybody loves bangers. So <laughs> I made a con- I made a conscious decision to focus especially on these records that you know got the hands in the air and made. Yeah, you have good. made a bunch. There's 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 I don't know how many, but there's more than three. Yeah, that you've made that are like just okay, cool. Like peak hour, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 it it doesn't mean that this is my entire uh, musical spectrum. I you know I could make completely different music, and I and I have, and I I still do, and I also um, I listen to very different music, trippy, uh, psychedelic stuff, um, but um, simply for making a living and dance music i needed to cater to a market that is big enough to allow that you know uh, so and once i had that figured out uh doors to the and you felt you started. had that figured out from you know so so to say i want to make a banger is not yeah. a direct line but you uh, correct me but like uh, you know questioning um you knew that from DJing for years. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. DJing on one hand, but also I've been making music long enough. I'd been using, making music long enough at that point that I was actually able to technically pull it off as well. It's not sure. that hard, but it requires a certain skill set. And uh, um, yeah, and then doors opened up and, 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 and I was... You have to have an ear. There's certain parts of the song, you know, like you have to have an ear to know when the sound is the sound and also to be able to differentiate which which parts of the song are the things that lift the energy. You know, I think a lot of people think just like a big kick drum lifts the energy, but it's just, it's not that at all. Every record has a big kick drum. Yeah. You can put a (laughs) kick drum on anything and go garage band and and it's meaningless. But uh, I would say for me, the, 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 the notable aspects of your songs are, your really big snares and your you create sort of riffs in your songs that are like either you know little percussive loops that evolve and and expand and get to a, you know bring us emotionally they become kind of the emotional uh, arc of the song um and the big snares like your snares just hit really really hard and it, well, you know. want you want you want something that is first of all super recognizable mm-hmm you want at the end of the night you want to say want people to say oh that song you know uh, so it needs to have a certain hookiness where 
uh, people you hear it once and when they hear it again they remember it so it's nothing wishy-washy and deep and vague but something that is you know to to, to the point and and, and it, it sticks in, in your brain and also for these records you need dynamic range there needs to be a moment where this record goes from zero to a hundred and it just hits you hard mm. you know like a big it just needs a big drop and uh, uh and the rest is simply bread and butter house and techno production, you know. Once what was you the first one things. where you hit that dynamic range? Um, I think. Um, like, do you remember the moment where you're like, "Okay, cool, I just expanded it, I got it." Um, no, I've done this. I like uh, uh, subconsciously, I've done this several times before I was able to actually do it purposefully. Um. It was more a matter of luck, but my, my first biggest hit was called Roar from 2008, which is yeah. basically kind of like a an engine noise that just revs up and down. It's a total, total accident, but still my biggest selling record today, probably. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but uh, um, after that um, moment, my first compact single, um, I forgot it. What, what it was called i think oh yeah i think the one record that nailed it perfectly was called um fuck <laughs> super, give me one second yeah go for it oh yes search search okay yeah yeah search search is the one record it, yeah. that uh, uh that just gets that dynamic range right that uh is super recognizable and uh, uh, yeah, that, that takes all the boxes. And, and then you realize these records find their way into a broad spectrum of DJs, into the sets of a broad spectrum of DJs. So you, you know, house DJs to harder techno DJs, they would all play these records. And uh, you know, there, there you have it, you have a bigger market. And when a lot of famous people play your records, it's the best advertising, you know. Sure. I couldn't. I could not big myself up on social media like a famous DJ dropping a record of mine at a at an important moment. That's just a shortcut, you know. Yeah, that's a unique thing to electronic yeah. music. Really, like I I don't know what what word. I was on a panel at Winter Music Conference one year called like you know the underground, like purpose being to define what the underground is. Like, and we were all like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means. But, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly. It's, it's, it's ineffable how to describe like the scene or this type of music communication and performance. But, you know, it's unique to this, whatever it is, where the DJ, like who plays your record is in, indeed like the most important thing. And there's no, like you might have a record that's, like way that's not even like on your spotify top 10 or something like that but that's the record that makes your career you know yeah and that's unique to to this kind of dance music um it's yeah, not in it, you know in edm it's not like that in edm like everything correlates but here it's not it's very fragmented well how do you mean everything correlates uh the edm system is a machine that is coordinated compared to like whatever we're, i don't know let's call it the underground just for like you know 
sake of not redefining it every single time I introduce the, the, the yeah. aspect. Um, but like EDM music is industrialized and underground is honestly really just like, it's not like it's all people figuring it out. It's all, it's basically the way that I see it. Or this is my take. I would love actually your feelings on this. I see it as driven by a few important things. What are the vital aspects of what I'm doing as an artist, as an industry person, as a member of this collective, of this culture, of this scene, of whatever? What are the things that are really important to me? What, what makes me show up? What makes me wake up in the morning and want to do it? And everything else is just like, it's less important and we figure it out. So like the label management is very not, it's underdeveloped in this ecosystem. Um, you know, the stores, the DSPs like Beatport and track stores and, and, you know, you know, they're great, but like, they're not as great. They're not great in the ways that like Spotify is. They're not as developed. There's just so much, like I had Rob, I had, I had Rob on the CEO of Beatport uh, about a month ago and he's a good friend. I've known him yeah. forever. And, and I knew the past teams and um, you know, Liz Miller and, and Clark and, and you know, Matt, I know all of them. He's from Tao, huh, Rob? He lives in Tao, doesn't he? he well, right now, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. he was in Tahoe when I was talking to him. Uh, that's where his quarantine is. Yeah. Rob's a great guy. Oh, I'm happy. Happy nice. you guys are connected. Um, but like, you know, Rob's influence on the underground or whatever is nothing compared to Spotify's influence on the mainstream. And just, there's no, uh, you can have roar be like your biggest, like there's just every single, everything is fragmented. Your SoundCloud yeah is going to act a certain way. Your Instagram is going to act a different way. Your like, if someone looks at your body of work from a different angle, every single angle is going to provide them a different version of you in the yeah. underground, but in EDM and, you know, mainstream music, that's not the case. It is super fragmented still like compared to China where China has actually figured out how to like put this all together. But when you have a hit, you have a hit on YouTube, you have a hit on Spotify. It's the song that you close your set with when you're touring. It's what people, you know, you're, it's what they're talking about on your Instagram. You know, the, the music industry, the mainstream music industry has figured out enough, hip hop, pop, especially how to rally around those things. So it, fragmentation is, is a different problem in, in the underground. As, but you would be surprised. It. You would be surprised to see how uh, how much brain power uh, goes into forging those careers of some of those top DJs. Oh, also, yeah, in the, of course. what we call underground scene, and and th those people are often surrounded by very very capable, intelligent uh, managers and makers and shapers. Um, um, so, like for instance. I've been working with Afterlife as a label mm -hmm. um, over the last few years, and it's just always awesome to see the caliber of teamwork that they they bring to the table. They, there's nothing. You just put is, something out with Armada, you know, like amazing organization. Yeah, yeah, but you know, there's like whether you look at uh, Damon Lazarus and uh, his, um, you know, Day Zero Crosstown Rebels uh, ecosystem 
or you look at uh, Solomon and uh, uh, um, his dynamic, um, or you look at uh, um, Afterlife and Tale of Us, there is very little happening accidentally. And it's yeah. also, the, the more I see it, the more I see that uh, success has little to do with luck. I mean, oh yeah, there's certain things that help you. If you're a good looking person, whether you're a guy or a girl, it doesn't really matter. If you're if you're if you're sexy, good looking, of course, it's an advantage. It will sell, and 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 many artists make a unique selling point out of that, and it works. It works better than some bedroom nerd uh, making great tunes. You know, that's sure. uh, we're just we're just nah, wired to react to, to 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 sexiness. You know, totally. So um, I, I I think those days of winging it in the underground uh, to, to, to see artists really making it to the A-level is it happens but it's extremely rare and it uh, has yeah. to coincide with an insane amount of talent and work ethic yeah no I absolutely agree I guess where I differentiate is that if you want to find out about so Solomon for example if you want to find out about Solomon Solomon perhaps one of the best organizations you know dynamic is long and beautiful organization for for records for touring for manage for everything uh, there are festivals you know all of it exceptional but solomon put out like a screed this week about what he's been going through with his new album and quarantine and the ability to play live or not and it's like you wouldn't you only get it it's only on facebook and he it's not coordinated in the rest of his ecosystem so, what did he do he just put out an album or no, no he hasn't put the album out yet he's delayed it but it was a long letter and it was all about what he's been going through and how he's been trying to uh you know rally a live show how he's done you know he doesn't want to do these generic live streams blah 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 but like the point being it, it was it was a it was a nice note the point that, that I, I'm just making here is that you have to really be in it to find that and to know the context of it. In, in, in the mainstream music industry, when yeah, an artist puts yeah. out an announcement like that, like their, their entire ecosystem knows about yeah. it unilaterally. In dance yeah. music, like no one, like the Solomon, the way he writes it, Ethan, is only for the heads. Like you do not understand what he's talking about in most of it, if you're not one of these people. So I got onto the thread because of your reference of the importance of a big DJ playing your record. So the importance of Solomon playing your record is like everything. How do people find out about that? They just fucking do. You know, the people who, the important people, it's word of mouth. It's played in the right club at the right time. Maybe yeah. Pete Tong references it on his show or something like that, you know. It gets out there, it permeates, but there's no industrialization of it. There's very little. It's just, they figure out, so, so they, they boil down the essential things and it gets out how it gets out. So Solomon's announcement about, you know, which the important parts of this announcement are, he's got a new record that he's been working on for a while. It's coming, mm -hmm. but it's not coming yet. And he's not really sure what to do with it because of the situation. He's been trying to play live. He's sorry he hasn't been able to yet. He 
and, and he hasn't been sharing things because he's been waiting for that. And that's been happening behind the scenes. That's why he's been quiet. So he wants, he wanted to tell his fans that he's, you know, still thinking about them. And three, he actually has figured out a live thing that's going to happen really soon. And he's about to announce it. That mm-hmm. was basically what it boiled down to. But like <clears throat> only a few people are going to see that because of the way that they distributed the information, but it's going to work. You know, dynamic, like I introduced that thought with like, they know what they're doing. They're really, they're a well-oiled machine. And in a crazy way, like it's a really, like if you compare it to the rest of the music industry, it's a very disorganized, under-organized, you know, (laughs) dissemination of information, but Mm -hmm. it's going to work. And all Uh, the Solomon people are going to hear about it. You know, they're going to get it. I think word of mouth and more of a pull marketing where people pull the information off the web than uh-huh. rather a push marketing where you can't escape it. And there is a, a stall in every supermarket like that would be with the, the new Lady Gaga album or something. Right. Um, yeah. You, I think this, this, this market demand simply is different approach. Uh, it needs to at least feel organic and authentic. Um, but within those confines, is still hardcore marketing going on. Yes. And I, I, I know, I, I, won't, I don't want to name names, but I know of artists who spend 30K a month on social media. Wow. That's, D- DJs, you know, that's crazy. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, and I'm talking DJs here, yeah. underground DJs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, can think of, I can think of a couple who I believe that for off the top of my head, but considering that a regular thing, and it's and you know what it is and, and people look at that and I think this is uh, this is decadent. Same with uh, flying private. You know a lot of the big names fly private. And when you do the math, all of these things make perfect sense. They know it co- takes money to make money. You know, and they're they're they, they know that uh, in order to pay ten thousand bucks a day for a plane or thirty thousand for for um you have to be making for for, for social media. That enables them to, you know, play at 400k a night somewhere, yeah. and they do that four times a week, and then all of a sudden the math doesn't look crazy anymore at all, you know. Right. Um, I think um, it's, it's you. You could say yes, it's inauthentic, and it's 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 getting oh, no, a bit not far, at all. far no. You know, I I don't even want to judge it. Yeah. But I think the one of the big life lessons here is that thinking big, the ability to think big is an incredible uh, advantage over not having that ability. It really What's is. What's your infrastructure like in this sense? Um, I, I Honestly, in, in that area, I'm a failure. I mean, I, no. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> compared I mean, to those yeah. guys, I'm a total amateur. I, I hate doing social media. I have a, I have a very good manager, um, but it's, I, I, and I have a, I have a, I have a very capable uh, manager assistant. So we're a team of three. I have several agents uh, across the world. Um, I like to keep my team super small. I don't like an entourage. I don't like massive overheads and I don't like to have to take responsibility for a bunch of people. So um, I keep is things Is your management small. in Amsterdam also? No, my manager is in Ibiza. It's okay. like, we're on, the, you know, we're on the phone. And the, the manager could be Which anywhere. Which is totally fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps when you're in the same time zone. 
but uh, even that is not a must. Uh, when I'm in Australia and he's in Europe, um, the, the work continues, you know. Totally. And and no, that's an. Uh, it's good to have someone like that in in, in your corner. And uh, a, a lot I actually of sometimes young- like being on different time zones because of the way the way I work. I sort of I like asynchronous communication more. Uh-huh than synchronous like I, like i'll if i'm making a song or something like that like i want maybe two conversations live about it but i want the notes going back and forth and the demos and the sounds going back and forth and i really love just like okay cool before bed i'm gonna spend two hours on this quietly yeah. by myself and i'm gonna pass it off and when i wake up the work is back in my inbox and i really like that rather yeah, than doing cool. it simultaneously yeah, and yeah, those yeah. two hours we're doing it together and it's like those two hours turn into four hours and we're just like asking ourselves like 10 20 more questions than we could have done figuring it out siloed so yeah. I, i've found this just me personally like i end up working better that way when i can't when i don't have the freedom of access to the person so i love so you- waking up like that you know so you so you communicate uh, so you collaborate uh, remotely with other people? Yeah, literally. Like I mean, I'm in the middle. I've made. I have a new album coming out, and I, I've I have a single coming out. Well, as soon as I can announce, film festivals are like still figuring themselves out. So as soon as yeah. I can announce my festival acceptances, I'm putting out a new EP that yeah. I've made entirely since I've been in Mexico. Okay. remotely with someone who's in london <laughs> uh so and that's uh i mean this one is one song is like there's like two songs that are like house music like disco-y one that's like i don't really know what to call it it's it's not it, it it's not like danceable it's it's you know it's quiet um and then one that's like really long that the first half is like it's like spoken word and the first half is like cinematic kind of and then it turns into a dance music song and it's like 15 minutes and it's me telling a story um and it's actually it's like me telling a story about kind of like my understanding of dance music in many ways um it's like i like i've referenced parts of it as we've talked but yeah but it's like all my music is not i made a lot of like dance music before but then I, I just kind of like stopped a few years ago and started everything from, I, I just like removed myself from the world and started everything from scratch. And I make my films, my music, my clothes, everything in cohesion, like or creatively. It's all part of one overall. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. So I do them separately, but with the <coughs> knowledge of, of, of one another. So the music, like the album. So I'm not releasing the album yet because I don't know what, originally the plan for the album was like with a tour and a film. And Mm -hmm. I don't, before I just like throw that out the window, I want to like see if the world does open up and I have the chance to do it like that. So I've held the album, but I'm starting to just put out. So I just like started making a bunch of new stuff before the album will come out. So I have the album done. That's like an hour long it's not really dance music. It's, it's got elements of dance music, but it's um, more, you know, I'd say it's like more, more people will, will get Radiohead from it than will get house music from it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but I made it with all of my bedrock is dance music. Like every thought that I have comes from DJing 
of, of how I make music. So I work with people who I've never worked with anyone who doesn't at least who doesn't make dance music. So I usually get like dance music producers who are capable of other things too. That's who I end up working with, but I'm not a good technical producer. So I collaborate and I make versions of it and I write it in crazy detail. And then I usually like, like I'll make a demo where I'm chopping up beats and stuff from samples. And then I will make like this, I will write the whole song and then I will give a bunch of references of like, this is stuff I like, this is stuff I want it to sound like, whatever. And then I work with someone and we go back and forth like that. But, but that's why it works really well for me because like one conversation at the jump to talk through the song and all of my ideas around it. And then me giving them like, this is the stuff like mm -hmm. go ingest that and then make your own, you know, iteration of it. And then I give notes back and forth. Maybe I make some edits, maybe I re-record something. That's the process. And that works really well where like I have a quiet time at night, two, three hours, I get them that. And then they're waking up shortly after I go to sleep. And by the time I wake up, they've done their session. And it's like, instant and it's and it's awesome I, I i like that a lot but it's it's my unique way of working um and it's actually a benefit for me that started with my um shitty production skills you know <laughs> like working remotely is actually awesome for me mm -hmm. because i'm not it wouldn't make a difference if i had all my gear with yeah because i'm not good with it anyway i use it but i'm not good with it so like just working on my laptop is actually probably better and letting them do more is better. And the surroundings, they count for a lot. I mean, if you can just make music Recording on your porch on the out ocean. here. Oh my God. Yeah. The whole brilliant. new EP is recorded on this microphone, this Rode, yeah. whatever, USB Which microphone. Is uh, I, it's a N, NT, NT USB oh, Rode. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a it's a popular it's a popular podcast microphone, huh? I think so. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's really easy and it doesn't clip when I I like you know I, I I'm right up in it and it doesn't clip, um, yeah. so I like that it gets the lows. Um, but yeah, it's like I've recorded it with wind and ocean in the background, so the whole thing and you could hear it. Like if it's like a more hectic night. Like, yeah, but I haven't like gone in a quiet room. I've recorded it literally where I'm sitting right now with the air. And I, I like always tell the, my co-producer that I'm, I'm always like, is that, you know, is it okay? Is it, are you getting a bunch of bullshit? Are you getting like, but there'll be like birds in it and stuff. And those are just actually birds that flew by, like, <laughs> which, which I love. It's cool. Yeah, you know? totally. It's production value. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, um, do you do, you do any surfing while you're here? I want to, but so I was. So this is like my weirdness, you know. So this is not a big surf town. I plan when I go to Oaxaca. I I want to surf a ton. I don't really know how to surf, but I had planned to do more of it here. The guys who are going to take me surfing. So I I can't I, I can't go myself. I don't have a car, so I need to go with people, and this beach is calm. The beach that I swim on right below is like I swim laps and it's super calm. It's beautiful, but the surf beaches are really close. Just like I can't walk. And they're all coming in and out of Guadalajara. 
all the time in Manzanillo and Puerto Vallarta. And I just don't want to do it. I just like, I got shit to do. I got, it's not, I don't, I don't want to be in the car with people who just, who literally like came back last night from a place where the virus is and there's a ton of cases. And then I get in the car with them that morning and go surfing. The surfing is fine. I would surf with them and I would like fist bump them, you know, I'm fine with that. But I don't want to sit in a car where they've touched everything and with like, so that, that, that's been, yeah, I've just like been antisocial for that reason. Cause I have like a big year. Like I, I want to make this, I'm going to get the money together and we're going to be able to shoot at the end of the year. And yeah. like, I just, I, that's it. That's all that matters to me. It's like, I would love to be surfing. I would love it, but that's why I haven't been. Swimming scratches that itch also sufficiently. I swim twice a day. It's gorgeous. Yeah. 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 It's so fuck. The water now, it got hot like Oaxaca water uh, about, you know, three weeks ago, maybe. It was chilly up until then, but now it's like a bath and it is just, oh my God. It is glorious, and it's clear. You could, you know, go underwater, and you don't need you don't need a mask. Yeah, it's you have beautiful. to you have to watch out. They have stingrays here. I got stung by a stingray in Sayulita. That's it so was scary. Very, wow, it was, it was very unpleasant. Wow. <laughs> the water's been really wild. Where, um, so I've never seen this. It was quite the sight because of the ecological changes due to humans not, you know, being humans not using the water the way that we normally do all of the the ecosystem shifted where the fish that normally feed on jellyfish had enough and they didn't eat a tremendous amount of jellyfish so we got maybe two three weeks ago yeah it coincided with the warm with the water getting warmer uh i mean like fully just the entire ocean was full of jellyfish, tiny, small jellyfish, like that big, not the big ones that you see swimming around tiny jellyfish, but like millions, Mm -hmm. just the entire. So the whole, the whole sand, the beach was covered in, in dead ones who washed ashore. And I mean, like I went out on like a paddle board to see if, if it was the entire, I went as far as like I was willing, I went really far out. And it was still, I mean, you look down and all you see is like thousands of them right below you. It was wild. It was so cool. And we had the bioluminescent um, red tide. I swam in that, which was like, uh, I'm told a terrible idea, but it was just, it was kind of awesome. So I did it, but you're not supposed to. It's bad for humans, but. Yeah. 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 So what's, what's next for you? What are you thinking, you know, adjustment wise for the next chapter? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think um, I want to definitely um, work on the educational angle a little bit more and get and produce my own uh, uh, tutorial or sort of a master class. Oh, cool. um, have you thought about where to do that? Like what platform? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like any partner. Or oh, yeah, what platform? I'm no, not yet. Um, I know a few people who have them. If you need interest, maybe, maybe, maybe Gumroad. 
maybe uh, I have a friend who has uh, Gumroad. Uh, my friend Sahil founded Gumroad. That's cool. Oh fuck, Sahil! I follow him on uh, on on Twitter. Oh, amazing! <laughs> He's great. Yeah, he founded that company when he was like seventeen. It's crazy. Yeah, he's doing well for himself. For probably, really yeah. well. He's such a smart guy. If you ever want to talk to him, I'm happy to introduce. I should hit him up. I should get him on the show. Yeah. It's, um, so well, that's one of the things. Um, I. Um, other than that, the first gigs are starting to pop up again. Certain countries are kind of over COVID. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, you know, it's like, and, and and in a way, I kind of believe it, you know, if you, if you choose to not pay attention to it anymore, it will probably simply feel like a, another flu season. Because if you look at that amount of people actually dying from it, not just with it, but from it, it's not that much more than you had in other years, you know? I mean, the total, like here, the total death figures in Holland, where I'm living, are completely in line with other years. So, um, and right now, nobody has it in my circle of acquaintances and friends, or and I don't even see it. I live in a big city. And most people don't wear masks anymore, and most people st started hugging again, and it's all good, you know? But, um, so if if we return to a, a normal quickly, then I will also return to my life, and I want to do that three, four, five more years, and then uh, I'll change my career. And I am a man of many interests. Have you thought about what like a new career would be? Um, I would love to do something maybe with architecture. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I could also uh, I would also be interested in doing something within the music industry, but more on the background and more on the on the techie side of things, mm -hmm. like um, working on solutions that help um, artists to get paid for their royalties. Okay. Like this is an industry that is just begging to be disrupted. You know, like all these collection. Especially agencies. in dance music, you know, with with live DJ mixes and stuff, it's really difficult. Yeah, but imagine to, 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 to set up a system that is worldwide that pays every artist the moment his content is consumed. Yeah, blockchain. It's totally, yeah, totally block, blockchain. And also, when you do that, you go all the way for all the uh, digital content creators. That includes musicians, podcasts, photographers, videographers, you know. Um, in essence, the technology is there to do it. Um, a blockchain, micropayments, that sort of stuff is going to make that possible uh, technically. Uh, the biggest hurdle is probably legal. A legal hurdle. Uh, and, and that legacy structure, they, they will, will probably not let go of uh, that gold mine. Uh, That's been so a huge easily. problem in the music industry is, is, is yeah. legacy structures not letting go of models yeah. that are dead, but someone still makes money from them and doesn't yeah. want to give it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm just imagine uh, how that would feel. You just, you, you upload a podcast, a thousand people listen to it, there's a hundred bucks in your bank account straight away. Nice, you know? That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no that's, uh, and, and I don't know how much money is there in this whole system, but there is money in this system. 
for sure. And there's there's money there too, and 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 also it would help. Like for the music industry, it would be amazing because it would force. Uh, right now, a lot of musicians are forced into the life business as the only source of viable income, and it would a good royalty system would just enable so many more creators to simply make music with the purpose of having it listened to on Spotify without having to go and tour, you know? So you get more diverse, more interesting music and you, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and people can, be musicians in complete remote situations away from the touring uh, uh, destinations. Like the life you're living here, just imagine if you could stretch that I can out, do everything definitely. except yeah. DJ. You know, I, or yeah. I mean, I could live stream, but that's different. I can't play clubs and I can't really make films. I have to go places to make films and if I want to tour. But everything what else I could do from here. What kind of films are you, are you making? These are even harder to, I mean, all my shit's like super, I'm happy to send you stuff, but like, it's, it's hard for me to sort of genreize anything that I do. Cause it's not uh, like, I don't know how to like, they, <laughs> like format wise, are they like 20 minutes an hour? Or, uh, the uh, film that I'm premiering is, is it, is a 20 minute film, but it's mm -hmm. part of a feature film that part of, you know, what will be like a 90 or two hour, you know, 90 minute or two hour film. Um, that will shoot hopefully this year. So it's the first part, it's the short film is the first, is the beginning of that. Um, so, and then I have the decision depending on, you know, what goes on for the next few months, like how easy it is to do. I'll either reshoot that or I'll literally include it in the feature film. Um, is, it, is it fiction or is it? Uh... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I made documentaries when I was younger, um, but I don't really have the urge to anymore given like the internet like the internet is just like documentaries as i see it yeah. um so i i haven't felt like making a documentary in a long time um but yeah it's totally like i write i i'm in it i produce i direct i do everything and uh i, ha I have a crew like it's all legit and professional i'm just like uh i'm way I'm weird. I'm weirdly like I do every department before I hire someone to do that department and execute it. Yeah. So like I do all of my own production design. I source every single, like if you watch the film, like the clock, the lamp, the wallpaper, like everything was like, I sourced it. Yeah. And then I bring on a production designer who like place, you know, does all of that on the day. But yeah, I, I don't know if this is how I'll work forever. I think it is, honestly. But uh I that it's just the way that I the way that I make stuff. Um I don't, you know, same with music, like I don't follow genre. I don't really think of that exists. To me, it's all about the way my creative process starts with making something that is in my head that doesn't exist yet. Have you watched the the uh, Werner Herzog uh, masterclass? I you watched a little Herzog? bit. Yeah, of course. I watched his yeah, film yeah. last week called Family Romance LLC. He just put out a new film a few days ago. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, uh, he was the so he did everything. He was the DP and he like cameraman, and it's shot in Japan, and it's uh, it's a small film about 
a Japanese company that offers like family members, like they will pose as your family member and be like your, you know, your deceased father or something like that. Uh, and that, yeah, that just came out like a week ago. Um, yeah, I, I think I have the Werner Herzog. Like I have it saved on my hard drive. I need, you liked it. I liked it because it also, you know, he's an advocate of that DIY spirit, you know, Mm -hmm. not, he's, he says, it's not about, Oh, I first need this and this and this and that and that, and then I can make a movie. And I was like, just go out there and start, just do it, you know, just, uh, and, and I, I love that because it's really empowering, you know, especially yeah. young people, uh, uh, they need to hear that because they often set themselves limits. And it's the same with music. Right. Um, people overthink it, but at the end of the day, it's just start doing work on getting those 10,000 hours in. And at some point you'll be great. Uh, someone gave me a, an aphorism of make 50 bowls and what it means, you know, it's like, who do you want to buy a bowl from the guy who makes 50 bowls or the guy who spends his whole life trying to make one. Yeah. Cause by the time the guy gets to the 50th bowl, he's probably learned a lot and his 50th bowl is probably really good. So like, maybe there's a, maybe the fifth one was really shitty. Like whatever. We forgot about that already. You know, I like make 50 bowls. Yeah. That, that's where I'm at with this film, though. Exactly that is that like um, I built it was already really well situated for quarantine for, for COVID. Um, it's all shot in hotels. And so I didn't need to change that. But I've taken you know, I've, I've basically built a version of it that like I could shoot for a very low number. And if I like if I can't raise more money or if it doesn't make sense to raise more money. I want to make the film anyway. And I know yeah. how, so, so, so the, the short that I already completed, if I just five X that, which is the film, like I'm good. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my worst case scenario where, so that's where like, like one of my producers, like he, 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 he framed it very well where I already did my worst case scenario and it's getting into all the festivals that I want to get into. So if that already happened, if we just continue the worst case scenario, the odds are, well, you know, I'll, I'll only get better because now yeah. I did this once and it came out well. It didn't, it wasn't what I, att- like I attempted, I had this whole, I was super, super prepped and we didn't execute everything that I wanted because we were, you know, uh, we were shoestring and I was just, you know, lose things. Um, and I was, I was upset and he's like, he's like, you won't possibly be more upset with the, the rest of it you'll only get better and if you just continue to do it that way the odds are you're going to make a better feature than you did the short and they already like the short so i i want to 3x my budget basically so go from like literally you know nothing (coughs) to not not nothing like a little bit very 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 little um to like still really 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 little like i don't need to use unions but 3x what i did before so if i could 3x it that means that i could get like more solid people who like have done things at that level before and i can have time with them to get out of them what they're capable of compared to what i did before which was i was super 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 prepped and capable of executing each department myself. Yeah. And I did my best to 
transfer that to someone who was capable, but not better than me necessarily. And not given all the, all the tools or time to execute at their highest level. And what is, you know, what is your reason for making films? What's the, do you have a vision? Why something that drives you to make film? Yeah. Um, I think everything that I've ever cared about is philosophy. How should one live? If you look at, uh, if you read Gilles Deleuze, I think he synthesizes the way that I feel about this best. Um, and I didn't come upon him by accident because he writes about film a lot, time image and, and cinema one and two are, are textbooks. So what I realized, I've always been interested in film my whole life. That's always been my, my biggest interest. I love music. I love lots of things, but film has always been above. And over the last chunk of years, so around 2017, I like, really stripped everything down to zero. I removed myself from the industry. I took myself out of the world. I started just traveling and like just being in my own space and committing to like committing to getting myself to art life again. Mm -hmm. And I, I was very like industry focused for a long time. Um, and in that time period, what I realized was it was ideas, philosophy at the center of everything that I cared about. And if I went backwards in history, what I realized was the people who I was most inspired by were the ones taking all of the forms of ex the best, you know, the highest forms of expression of their, of their era and formulating something taking, they have ideas inside and using form to go make something to transfer it, to create mm -hmm. understanding and it's expression to create understanding and that's why, you know, the philosophers, so at, at some point, it's literally like a guy who wrote a 75 page philosophy book. And that was the highest form, you know, hundreds of years ago, then it was Richard Wagner, who was thinking of total art, total theater, and he was designing yeah. the sets, he was designing the <coughs> theater, he was designing the, uh, the invites, everything. Yeah, he, he was, he would have been a filmmaker today. So I think about it where, you know, art makes ideas set into us in a way that language does not. I can't just tell you how I feel about, you know, the things in my film. I can tell you about it, but it will never get inside of you the way that watching the film will. So it's, you know, ideas. It starts with ideas, philosophy. Then it gets to art is the best transference of it, of that understanding. And then the third is like, what is your art form of the day? of that, like I live in 2020, what is the highest art form of today? It's yet to become AR or VR. We just haven't gotten there yet. And it's still film. So that's why I love film is because film is the, I think, the highest form of expressing the ideas that I want to express. And I love mm -hmm. DJing also. I love music. I, I, love, I love making music. You know, I love, I love all of these things. But I love film most because film embodies all of it. Film is, you know, all of my DJing, all of my music production, all of my writing. I, I wrote a book also, like all of that, it goes into the film. The film encompasses all of my for, you know, my, my technical uh, processes. And, and I love that. You know, and, but it also transfers, for instance, for me, sometimes um, 
film is a jumping off point for musical inspiration. Hell yeah. Oh my God. So for instance, um, what I'm always looking for in art or film or music or whatever is a quantum leap. What I like to see is to see an artist do something, probably even successfully, and then reinventing himself in a major way and mm -hmm. making a massive leap forward. Um, and all of a sudden the doors go open and you, 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 you just, you know, you, you see something that you didn't even know existed before. Um, and like, for instance, with paintings, if you look at, uh, let's say Mark Rothko, and you look at his earlier stuff, have which was very conventional. Right behind me. Yeah, his, yeah, and his wrote, early stuff, book, super yeah. conventional. And then at some point, you see the reduction. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it's just this monolithic art that is just, it's just, it's just a, a bottomless pit almost, you know? And, and just to see people make that transition. Yeah, it's just, this, this is what I look for in art. And like with film, I had, uh, I remember, I was just uh, on one of the first dates with my now wife. And we went to see uh, The Tree of Life, uh, Terrence Malick. Oh. And uh, uh, I was emotionally already really open and receptive. It's a and great date is, movie for your early yeah, relationship. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and there is this part in the middle where all of a sudden they just show these space sequences. Yeah. Where all of a sudden you go from normal narrative into planets moving. And, uh, uh, and I thought I was such a brave, uh, out of the box, quantum leap within that film uh, it's just like something like i've never seen someone do something that radical within film you know and i like uh uh that's the magic that i'm looking for with anything also with music you know do you know andy stott of course yeah yeah andy stott used to be this um um dub techno guy and then around 2011 he made this he started making this super slow dark pitch down techno his uh, album uh, luxury problems is is basically the the, the the blueprint of that and for me that was also a musical quantum leap going from something conventional to something completely unconventional those 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 are the moments that i live for that's why i go to the museum because i want to see that i love that i mean i i completely relate yeah i i think that's what making things is all about you know you make stuff to I, I i talk about this daily you know just expression is a path to understanding but expression is not the goal understanding is the goal so you can't just keep making the same stuff forever because that would just be expression but if you're trying to create understanding you search for those you know you 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 develop yourself to make yeah, those quantum leaps. Yeah, understanding is growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you have you had like movies or art or something when you had these moments of like that almost felt like an epiphany? Uh, yes, yes is the short answer. I mean, so yes, like 
exclusively like like all the time that is how i trace my whole life like i was talking uh two days ago with the wreckmeister harmonies episode like i gave them i was very open with them about like the relationship arc that i had within their album that happened to me in real life not um not like meta i mean literally like we listened to the first single together then the second single, then the album and like, and how I can like embody right now, as I'm thinking about it, I can think about the movements in that relationship as it pertained to the receiving of those songs. And they rolled out in my life. I can think back to when I'm a child and this movie just cause came out and I was waiting in previews. And before, you know, back in the day, they used to play, you know, playlist, you know, play songs before, the movies and and the Dion Farris song I know was playing and that evokes to me the southern United States that was portrayed in that movie Just Cause and I was in the Orpheum and there were four other people there like I know exactly oh my god like and that distills so much for me about my life at that moment yeah I mean I have a like a for my film I have I, I make like a lookbook and a lot of it is is it's it's all about this it's all ephemeral it's all uh, a lot of, I mean, everything that you're asking me, like, this is exactly how I'm happy we're, we're connected. And that's, you know, uh, Paul, Paul could tell, I guess, cause he, he that, I asked him, uh, who I should talk to. And you were, you were the first person he said, um, that's how I make things. Yeah. That's how I think I, my lookbook for my film is not about the plot. It's not about who's who, or like, you know, g- giving you the, it's ideas, it's, it's feelings. And I, and I provide imagery and sounds and all the connections that I made. That was, that was the, um, the modus operandi, you know, the, the directive that I gave myself on making this lookbook. How do I create, I don't want to summarize this experience. I, I don't want to tell them what this experience will be. I want to get as close to the experience as I possibly can in this form. So the form of this lookbook, of this pitch deck, you know, I want to make that its own version of the thing that happened to me. Yeah. So that's, that's how I frame it. And I use, yeah, books, songs, movies, images, you know. Yeah, absolutely. In, in Amsterdam, Rake's Museum, man, like so many. I haven't, I have not been since they've reopened it because it's always been so busy. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we go to a lot of museums with mostly the modern stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely on my list and mandatory. Need to what, go. what does it for you? What, what are your like epiphany moments with art? Obviously, there's a tremendous um, amount, but like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with art. Uh, certain artists do it for me. I am a big fan like my wallpaper on my desktop right now has a Gerhard Richter painting. Do you know oh, Gerhard Richter? Mate, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the I was at the premiere in Venice. Oh, by the way, with Tree of Life, there's a new cut. I don't know if you saw, but uh, no. in Venice, they premiered last year. They premiered a three-hour brand new fresh director's cut that's on Criterion. Oh, um, wow. And it's beautiful. So I was at the premiere of that. I was also at the premiere of uh, the Gerhard painting. Richter film. Uh, yeah, painting. Yeah, I didn't amazing huh well wait wait which film say again i think it's called painting no different one it's a it's a narrative film and it's trash it's the guy who did uh the lives of others and it's a german film 
um i forget what it's called but it's fucking oh, garbage it's not a documentary no it's not it's a narrative oh, film because there is a really good documentary on youtube Painting? it's called Painting. It you have to pay for it it's like five bucks but it's really worth it i will and i love yeah. Gerhard richter uh you know his books i read his books in college and i was like really into his and, theory and i love i love his process of inviting accidents into his process he's basically just curating chaos uh grooming chaos and his and his and his smear paintings by the way also someone who had had several quantum leaps in his development from the blur paintings to the smear paintings so yeah richter is definitely super important Uh, francis bacon is someone Mm -hmm. uh, i love francis bacon because it's just it's just so painful in a good way you know Mm -hmm. uh and and I think for as an inspiration for also for techno, techno needs to have pain. There needs to be a certain melancholy in it. If if it's all happiness, it's house, you know. And there's sure. a place for that as well. And I, no DNA. There needs to be a certain amount of darkness in it. And they can make yeah, the so. grotesque, the internal grotesque, external. Yeah, and he has for that. his, but also his his process, you know, his warped faces. He used to basically take a photograph and cut it up, and then he'd just put fold the edges and twist it like that, and then he'd make a painting of it out yeah. of that. So, so I'm always saying, I'm always fascinated by people who have found a process sure. that sure. yields unconventional, or surprising results. Because that's also what I'm looking for in music. I always try to, at least for my hook element, I try to find something that is um, a little accidental, that it doesn't come out of my brain. But that's just, you know, I'm just playing the, the keyboard like, like, like a child, just pushing buttons until I catch a moment of magic of something. And then I groom that into a track. It's just a, of, of being somewhat original. As soon as you have... If, if you think it up from start to finish, people think too much alike so that the results right. are also too much alike. <laughs> so, you need, so you need a process that takes you away from yourself. It can be automatic in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You it's should read a book called uh, Bacon in Your Blood by Michael Pepiat. That there's a lot of bacon books. There, I can recommend a ton of bacon books, but this one is different where it's actually like it's Michael Pepiat's autobiography kind of or memoir of his time with Francis Bacon. And yeah. so he wrote another one that's just like a bacon biography, but he was just like this kid who was kind of taken in by bacon in his early 20s. And he just hung out, he was in that Soho scene. So he, bacon was like, you know, older than him, but he was just like a young man hanging out with with Francis Bacon and, and John Deacon and all, and, and oh, wow. all of them, uh, you know, Lucian Freud. And he just talks about the bar scene in Soho and yeah. the different, you know, the, the, the homosexual dynamics, the heterosexual dynamics, how it went into, it just, it just takes these little capsules, you know, of like, and that was that painting. So like, you know, the way that he tells stories and then like, yeah. we have the, we have the work. We can go look at it, you know, and it's just this beautiful context of understanding like this guy. So a lot of what you're saying right now about these accidents and the almost chaos, you know, this guy lived that. So this guy would like, you know, wake there's stories about like him waking up 
um, you know, bringing a, bringing a, a man home and then like the man waking up to him painting and he's like, how are you? You know, you were plastered. You had like, you know, 30 drinks last night, whatever, like, like super fucked up. And he would be, he'd be violent. He'd be bleeding. And then he'd like make a painting that becomes something that is like, you know, one of our favorites. And the Pepiat book is really cool because it just gives all these first, it's, it's this guy's like really in-depth loving firsthand account of Bacon's wow. life. It's, a, it's an awesome did, book. Have you, did you study art or? Technically, like, uh, but not really. Like I was a film major at a liberal arts school in Boston, but in Boston? Oh, yeah. yeah, Emerson College. I don't credit it with any of this though. Like I, I, I bought my first Gerhard Richter book in the bookstore at Emerson. I do remember this. It was yeah. the small one. It was, uh, it was what is art. Um, and I remember buying that at the Emerson bookstore on my parents' credit card because that's what I used at that time because I had no money. And I remember I had an account at the bookstore with my parents' credit card on file. And that's how I got books. Oh, um, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like probably, you know, 19. And uh, yeah, so I, I remember though, like short, short story that, that can be much longer, but very short version of it, of why I say, yes, I studied art, but not really. Um, Day one of college, I had intro to visual arts class and the teacher asked, what is art? And no one raised their hand except for me. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, not, not confidently at the time. I, I can do it confidently today, but at the time, not confidently, just really trying my best. Never thought of the question before. Um, and I said, Art is when two different people can attempt this to, to formulate the same idea with craft and come up with two different things. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's making stuff and two different people can do it and they put their inflections on it. And he, and he sort of, now he went, mm, okay, anyone else? And we spent two months on this question. That was like the, the curriculum, the, this, this course. I didn't know this at the time, but we were to discuss this Interesting. different lenses for two months yeah. yeah the first two months of my you know of college one of the most one of the rockiest you know first time i'm not living at home like most insecure moments of a person's existence yeah and i i felt dejected at that moment when he just sort of like mm, okay next anyone and i felt so dejected and i was all i was feeling dejection you know just everywhere i just and then he did that and two months later, he answers the question after all of our readings and all of our discussions, and it was my answer. And I came up to him after class and I said, you know, like, what, do you remember that I said that? And you just gave like exactly the same answer. And he said, he said, yes, I just couldn't, um, you know, I needed the rest of the class to come to it on their own. And I said, did you not, you know, we've met in person now, like, I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, like multiple, multiple times over the last two months, like you had opportunity to say to me, Hey, you're on the right track. Like good on you. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, you don't need like a um, public, it's not like that. It was just like, maybe don't try and kill yourself over your ideas being fucked up. And I was done. That was it. I was just like, I, I graduated from school, but like 
because of my grandparents, because I love my grandparents and I knew that they wanted their first grandson to graduate from college. But that was it. I hated th- that. That's one of the most, um, when he did that, I've never, that's why I make films the way that I make films today. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's why I, I, uh, I was so upset by that. There were a bunch of things that happened at that time in my life and that's kind of why it was so upsetting. But his irresponsibility as I saw it with a young upset person because we're all when you're 19 years old and you just got to college you know you're all fucked up and when he he made me question myself in unhealthy ways at the least healthy time of my life but you know what I think this is not a bad thing necessarily I turned out okay yeah, and I think hardship is important at that moment. Uh, and, and, and if in the cold hard light of day, that hardship isn't life-threatening hardship. It's simply uncomfortable, growing pains, you know? Oh, sure. Finding, oh, yeah, there's much worse things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I, and, I, and I think maybe his strategy was simply, okay, maybe he thought... Um, it would be good to still doubt yourself and, and, and look at your uh, look at this question from different angles rather than, you know, throwing the lucky dice uh, and, and, and hitting that answer straight away and then basically robbing yourself of the opportunity to deep thinking, you know? Unfortunately, so, uh, at that time, I wasn't there yet. Now yeah. I could do that, but I was not there at that time. And you knowing know that I was on the right track would have been a lot more helpful because I just thought I was shit and I thought I knew nothing and I thought I was doing it all wrong and all of this stuff. And I thought that I had no one to connect with and all of that. And yeah. I, th- I also think that 19 is simply very young to go for, for going to college. You're just, I agree. Not, yeah. I think it was a terrible experience. I think it'd be something if you're 30 and and you reserve a few years to study whatever you really want to know more about that, you know, that would be more fruitful than not knowing anything, just enrolling somewhere and then just seeing where the it was so takes random. You. Yeah. Yeah. Did you study yeah. art? I've never or- been to any, uh, any school. I've just, I did my high school and then I went straight to work. I was into computers. I was going to dive I'm into totally- Have you like, taken any or have have there been times where you wanted like took courses or anything like that or or just i'm I'm a i'm a self-learner and i really believe in the best way for me to learn is to learn from people who are already successful in the field so i've taken like music classes uh, school of audio engineering i did that for six months learned nothing i learned more in 30 minutes one-on-one yeah. with uh, with a good producer just him showing me a few helpful tricks and giving me a few pointers that's why that's why i believe in um getting yourself as close as you can to the best people in the business that you want to know more about yeah and i think you learn more serving them coffee than you learn in in, in, in four years and then some in some college uh that's what I'm saying. like i nothing there's no imprint left on me from my four years in college yeah i can't think of anything that i've taken from it you know you learn to survive within a system yeah personal yeah. stuff yeah, <laughs> like, like emotional uh, I, stuff but yeah but i mean you social skills you know 
it's uh, and 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 also you you get weaned off of living with your parents. Yeah. So, have you ever been to Dia Beacon? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible place as well. Yeah. What brought yeah. you there? I, I went there on purpose, a few times. So, you know, whenever, whenever Who I did have. Did you see? And you know? there was a, a huge. Uh, there was a Dan Flavin exhibit in one of the large rooms. Uh, there was a Richter, then there was a Michael Heitzer uh, sculptures. These the negative space sculptures. They have them also at the LACMA, I think. Oh yeah, cool. Michael Heitzer is the guy who has that big rock at the LACMA. Oh, that's him. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I know yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. tunnel. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Then uh, I saw uh, Louise Bourgeois. Some sculptures, mm -hmm. like spider sculptures. Yeah, yeah. And the one in Lisbon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Richard Yeah. Also the one at LACMA. Yeah. What I love about that museum is how uncrowded it is because, uh, you know, the, the, the MoMA is, is a refugee camp. I was, about, I was, I was literally going to say, I was like, I, I love MoMA because they have one of, they have my favorite painting in the world. Uh, Which one's but, that? The screen? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but they, that's, it's cool to see the crowds go crazy for it. But uh, uh, what's, it's... What's your favorite painting? Um, it's uh, Max Beckman. Mm -hmm. And it's in the same room as the bacon. So like you, you do 180 and turn around and you're looking at bacon and you're looking at departure. And it's just, yeah. it's the craziest thing to me. So, so it's like, you know, bacon is a big deal to me. I was the first person, I got the first entry at the Pompidou exhibit uh, last year. Oh, oh yeah, I saw that. Oh, it was it's, amazing. It's just a shame. I mean, the, the room doesn't do it justice. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's such a shabby museum by now. It really needs, uh, but the art was pretty good. But the, the the one that was really amazing was the bacon exhibition at the Guggenheim in Bilbao. I wasn't there, but I'm sure it it's was such amazing. a beautiful, such a beautiful museum. Yeah, Frank Gehry architecture, right? Uh, and 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 it was just an amazing exhibition with stuff that I'd never seen before. In New York, they had the Hilma off Clint at the Guggenheim was the best ever. So that was that was very cool. Guggenheim did that really well. But yeah, oh, but we were saying that? MoMA, uh, that was, it would have been like two years ago, I guess, at this point. Yeah. But it yeah. was, it was massive. It was like, it broke records and stuff. Um, it was a wonderful ex exhibition. Uh, but yeah, but MoMA, as just back, back, like, it's a stressful place. You know, it is just, it's packed. I'm a member, I go to the MoMA all the time since it reopened. Mm -hmm. because I bring people to stand next to that painting and they're all it's it, moment is so well curated you know just regular Donald Judd Dorothea Lang like I'm going to their openings every chance I get because yeah. they're so good but I don't enjoy it oh my god it's a it's a it's a ridiculous experience standing next to my favorite painting in the world and having 75 people walk past it yeah, 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 there yeah for 10 yeah, minutes you know yeah yeah, it's oh. just too much. Have you been to the uh, Anthropological Museum in Mexico City? Love it. What an experience. And, and I run through the water every time and they get mad at me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of the places I'm not normally into this sort of... Uh, um, Same. Like art, Natural History but, but, Museum, I never yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. But that one really flashed me. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. So it's a, um, it's a rectangle with an, in, with an interior, basically. So like, like the interior is open, 
And I don't know what this, you know, courtyard, I'm sure there's a, na- a better name for this, but it's a, the museum is a rectangle. So you walk all the way around, sort of like um, if you go to Venice, uh, it, it like San Marco, where you have the museum that goes all the way around San Marco. And then in the middle is the beautiful uh, square, not square, but rectangle. Um, and it's, it's like the Natural History Museum, like it's evolution and it's old, old, old things. It's a lot of native um you know yeah the tombs that they rebuild the pueblos from like old 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 uh like mayan cultures and you know indigenous mexican cultures uh it is gorgeous it's a wonderful experience i would do two days there honestly um and then in the middle is just a beautiful courtyard with a fountain Uh, with that that, 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 um that's just like it's like a shower fountain it's it's like this pole yeah that, that that moves into like a roof sort of structure. It's, just, it's, it's really cool. Structure. And then Humex is right next to that, which is like, if you go to like Venice Biennale, it's art. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like super high level uh, conceptual, you know, modern art, um, contemporary art. Not modern oh yeah. Art. It's in the same park. I've been yeah. there. Yeah. Have you been to the other one, the Sumaya? Sumaya is like one of the most gorgeous buildings in the world. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, oh, no, wait, sorry. I got Humex and Tamayo mixed up. So Tamayo is next to Anthropolagico um, in, the, in the same park. And then Sumaya and Humex are next to each other. So Sumaya... Uh, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The Humex is the one with the, with the, with the, with the cool bar downstairs. Exactly, like yeah. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, really yeah. good food, too. Uh, yeah. And they have like they have like homemade ice creams and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Humex had Warhol. Humex just recently had um, what's his name? I'm like too many art people. Uh, the transcendent one, you know, static image. Uh, Kanye West. Fuck. Uh, James Terrell. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they, oh, they, cool. Humex had yeah. a James Terrell room. And they had the big Warhol before the Warhol went everywhere else. It was at Humex. Um, and that's why like, I like would trash talk my New York Warhol thing at the Whitney. I was like, cause I had seen it twice already by the time it got to the Whitney. And I was just like, do we really need a fucking Warhol exhibit? Like a museum takeover by Andy yeah. Warhol today in New York city. I was like, it's cool when it's in Mexico city, but like to do it in New York, I was like, that's really what you're going to open your fucking museum with. Like, you know, close to the source. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like go, you go to anywhere in new york there's you got andy warhol but uh yeah sumaya is the most gorgeous building it's so cool and, Carlos another, Slim. another museum that will blow your mind is uh called mona and it's in in australia and tasmania I, I think mona is probably the the single most spectacular museum in the world um, i gotta look that up uh, yeah, have you been to Australia before? Uh, strangely, no. It's very weird that I've never. And, been. And, and I've worked with people, so many artists from there, and, and many people dismiss it. Uh, it's really I've been in many places. I'm dying to go. Yeah. It, it's it's top. It's easy top three for me with Japan. Uh, Mexico is okay, also top so, five for me. I love it. So two places to add to that. Uh, while we're doing, we're just you know. Yeah. <laughs> rolling them off um so in mexico you probably went did you go to casa nada no where is that so puerto escondido uh so it's just uh west of puerto escondido you go to casa nada and uh hotel escondido it is uh, tadao ando 
it's a collaboration with between Sadao Ando, the Japanese architect, and I forget the Mexican owner's name, but he's a Mexican artist who lives in Red Hook, New York now, um, Brooklyn. Uh, that is in Puerto Escondido, about a half hour west on the road. It's gorgeous, gorgeous architectural and installation museum um, and, and like an artist compound. Uh, Sadao Ando built... Uh, Naoshima and Teshima ah, that are the art islands Naoshima. out there yeah. that is it so so like when you were saying Mona for me Naoshima and Teshima were that was like there's no other I've never had a higher you know art experience than that I spent two days there I would love to spend a little more time there but it's, it's, it's it on was, the list oh my god it was incredible isn't Japan as a country just mind-blowing uh, just, I'm, I'm really into tea so japan is like <laughs> like my whole philosophy my religion yeah. like you know i'm jewish but like i i think of you know shinto i vibe with shinto way more than i do with 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 any other religion and i love japan I'm, so much i'm into polite people i'm into clean, <laughs> yes. I'm into cleanliness civic I'm responsibility into, yeah yeah and the things that work you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's just so many, so many good things to take away from uh, from Japan. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was supposed to be there for a few months this year, but had to cancel because of the COVID, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just, you know, it just makes us hungrier for new adventures. Definitely. Another place that I would strongly recommend, maybe you've been, Iceland. I've never been. I'm dying to go there. Yeah. Nature-wise, Iceland is just non-plus ultra. It's just you know what? Amazing. I was supposed to go. Last year, mm-hmm. I was going to Reykjavik. I had, a, I think, a week or two booked. And then I, I was in Italy. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to go back and forth. Or I was either in Italy or Switzerland, I forget. It was a break between festivals. Yeah. And um, I was either in Switzerland for Locarno and going to Venice after and I had a break. Or the one after and I had a break before New York or something like that. But I was supposed to go to Reykjavik. And then it was the bacon exhibit. And it was opening and I was, I was so close. I was like, I got to just go to Paris. And I went to Paris for the Pompidou yeah. bacon exhibit. And I was there at 11 a.m. for doors. And I had my sign in. I had my, I, I, I got the ticket in advance for the, for the first viewing. And I went to Paris instead. It's and it was never awesome. a bad time in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was a, it was a yeah. happy thing. But that was supposed to be my Reykjavik week. Um, but I would love to go. I'd say, you know, Reykjavik, Australia, um, those are probably, you know, Seoul. I really want to go to Korea. I've never been to Korea. I've never been either. Yeah. Dying to go. I, um, I go need to spend the, more time in China. Yeah. I want to go to the Himalaya. I have some never, people there, uh, like tea people I have there. If you ever, like, if you ever actually get serious and, and want some introductions, I have people there. How about India? Have you been? Never been. Would love to yeah, go. Amazing too. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. like, it's like a whole new world. Yeah. I don't yeah, even know. It, it is. It is. <laughs> There's a few, a few countries that are so autonomous and Japan is one of them. And India yeah. is another one that there is very little evidence of Western civilization. It's uh, just, which I'm it's, not it's mad about. Thing, you know? yeah. yeah. I'm totally okay with that. That's what, one of the things where I am right now. One of the joys has been so another thing is like new york and los angeles people have arrived to Correas recently and i'm so saddened by that because for the whole year i was the only person from the united states here everyone else was from mexico 
uh, a lot of Italians, some French people, some Swedish people. Like I was just so, it was so nice to hang out exclusively with South American, you know, Central Americans and Europeans. I was the only United, I, I didn't have anyone talking to me about Donald Trump. Like, it was so great. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway. America, it was an, it's an interesting place. It's, yeah. uh, I hope people find back together, you know? Because what I see I think from we'll be afar, better. When you, when you switch off the news and you stop listening to all the propaganda and everything, I see a bunch of people who are simply who simply want to make a better life. And the the big the big difference is that one group believes in it to do it one way and the other one the other way. But the goal of creating a better country, a better America is there for everybody. And I think uh, that moment of reconciliation where those groups, those camps come back together and say, you know what, let's focus on what unites us and let's build, rebuild our country that way rather than trying to annihilate the opposition. Because that's, this is what's happening, right? It's, it's, it's a game of divide and conquer, left versus right, and then they come with the next, the transgender versus... Nobody wins, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's always someone versus someone else. And now it's Black Lives Matter versus, uh, versus the rest. Let's just call that, let's end racism. Let's make I just, this all I, I just use equality, you know, I don't even want to, like, like I, I actually wrote exactly. something today because there was like an anti-Semitism thing going on in the U.S. right now where the, a football player shared some Hitler stuff that was like, you know, against Jews. Yeah. And everyone's been, oh yeah, no, the Jews are, you know, and I'm like, no, actually shut the fuck up. Like, it's not about Judaism. Like, this is about just like equality. And in this moment, the focus on equality is on, you know, racism against black, against black people. And we don't need to shift the conversation to anti-Semitism. I don't want to do that right now. We're good. And I just want to use our energy to, yes, like, like specifically tackle racism right now. But I, I like to keep it in this overall arching lens that like, I don't even want to give racism like it's credence or misogyny, it's credence as like, like these are problems. People are causing problems that shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. We just got to get back to a baseline. Yeah, but also I'm thinking, let's, why don't we try, instead of being against something, let's yeah, try to yeah. be for something, you know? Come right. with a positive right. motivation, you know? What are, what, what are we for? What are we all for? Is there anyone else for... Uh, better education is anyone else dance for music. you know, you know? <laughs> for happier people. I like people. tech now. <laughs> so um, yeah, and 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 that's also a realization that I had uh, during the COVID days um, that um, convincing someone online, getting in an in a discussion and trying to convince yeah. them, you know, just to just so you're right and just so they learn and so you know, it's completely useless. As long as I'm doing that, Absolutely I'm simply agree. adding to the noise and I'm part of the problem. And to remove myself from that bad energy and simply say, all good, brothers and sisters, one love, come out with that message and, and do good in my circle of influence. Uh, 
this is this is this is what I need to be doing, and this is uh, this is where I focus my artistic vision on, but also my my my, my mission as a human being. You know, it's a Simply, value system. You're, you're devaluing being right. Yeah, it 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 because it's a it's a uh, it's a zero sum game. Yeah, uh, like who cares? You want yeah, you, pr- you prove the point. Yeah, you, what did you, you get win, now? Someone else now? loses. Yeah. Bottom line, nobody gains. Energy you know? shifts. Who yeah. cares? Doesn't doesn't mean anything. It's not you know you don't you, you don't triumph. By that's been that's a really good. I love that like that that side of things. I've been encouraging that myself as much as I can. In that that devaluing like being correct, being right, convincing someone like just just take that, just remove that as like a yeah. that's not you don't get points. Like for exactly. who cares? Just focus on the actions and focus on the the tangible you know the lives we're living, and go yeah. toward that. Go toward that rather than away from something. Yeah. And, and also simply accept that there isn't just your own truth, but every other people has their own, every other person has their own truth. And when, you, when, you, when you're traveling, you realize that people look at things in completely different ways. Yes. And the, the first step to, you know, rooting in a country that's not your own is simply to accept what's there. And uh, for instance, if you go to Dubai, and you uh, you start a conversation with women's rights, or you go to Israel and you start the conversations with Palestina, uh, with the Palestinians. Um, you don't you you shut all the doors of of, of finding a common ground. You know, uh, yeah. it, it it starts with the respect of the culture and listening to each other, and also trying to walk in their shoes, trying to understand them. Um, seeing, you know, um, if someone has grown up with a completely different value system than your own and his parents have grown up with that value system and their parents has been ages in their, in, 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 embedded in their, in their culture, you cannot expect that two years of social justice, Western values are just like that being taken over by that part of the world. It's just mm-hmm. not going to work, you know, so you have to. We have to take a step back and it doesn't mean um, um, throwing away what you believe in, but you have to be able to accept alternatives next to you. you know? Sure. I think a lot of us are learning this and I think the next, next chapter is going to be energizing. Yeah. I, I, I think this is, this is our future. Our future is one hand in hand going to a better place. All of us, you know. That's, this is uh, I. I don't see an alternative. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is simply the only way we're going to survive as a as, as a species. I think the better place is a nice is a nice way to wrap yeah. wrap this this uh, this thread. I uh, I'm very excited for for what comes next. I know we're mm-hmm. still in the middle of a lot of of a lot of chaos and a lot of really hard things but everything that you're saying yeah i vibe with and i'm really excited for everything that's coming next it's been it's been awesome to do these conversations you know to have the you you and me talking in this time it's such a it's such a dynamic time yeah to talk about all these things and then like we do a follow-up you know in a year or something and it's a very different context you know so so that's that's a gift, I think, that we've had these kinds of 
intimate dives now? I heard a really good saying from uh, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, um, the communist from, uh, from Russia back in the day. And he says, there are decades where nothing happens. And then there are weeks where decades happen. Yeah. And we're yeah. in the latter part right now. Oh, we're yeah. In, in, in a few weeks, so much is happening around the world and it's going to continue to happen. So we're really in this... Um, and this catalyst of change is it's accelerating yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah it's it's accelerating it's crazy it's, but it's, i'm it's i'm psyched about right. it like i want to make more movies i want to yeah. i'm i'm for this year but like i'm excited for when i do do that i think touring the world again is going to be yeah. really cool the next time i do it i think that's a mid 2021 you know i think i'm a year away from that yeah. given just like what i'm focused on right now and how i feel about you know how, i want i want to make I have three movies that I'm trying to make before I tour next, but um, I think I could do it by yeah. middle and or end of next year. That's my plan. Awesome. At least. Yeah, awesome. Um, you have uh, to send me some of your stuff. Yeah, happily, I'll I'll send you I'll send you a follow up. Um, yeah. But yeah, this has been so cool. You know, connecting on all this. I've, I've followed yeah, your awesome. career for a while, and and it's a pleasure to to be able to really go in depth i hope I, I i say this to every single person i fucking talk to is like hopefully we can get tea in person in the new world you know and I hope uh, so. <laughs> and yeah, where do you live at the moment uh, when you're not living here are you living on the west coast or uh, i don't know have an... i have i have an apartment <laughs> in new york that, so I, okay. I, have, I have a new york townhouse that is technically mine but like it's just storage at this point i'm never yeah. i'm not going to move back into it um yeah. i so in two weeks i'll know a lot because the flights will either open up or not to europe so i'm trying to go to venice i'm trying to go to italy um mm -hmm. for the festival um and if i'm allowed to go great if not i have some decisions to make like do i stay here or uh, what I'll probably do is I'm probably going to get, this is my thought over the last few days, because being by the ocean is really good for me. It's healthy. Um, and there's no reason to live in a city right now. So I think, but I want to shoot my film in New York. So if I, the best place for me to be is New York, if the film is the priority. So I was thinking of getting a house on the beach in Rockaway beach, not in the Hamptons. I don't want to go to the Hamptons because it's all like these, you know, snobby. Is it, is it the same direction? It's the same direction, but it's it's like you know where JFK is. Yeah, it's, it's right Island, next to JFK. Uh, it's not it's not quite Long Island. It's you know it's, it's two stops. Yeah. yeah, it's right before Long Island, but yeah. it's as far as JFK. So JFK goes to Far Rockaway and mm -hmm. uh, and Howard Beach, and it's like right there. So uh, yeah, so and and it's a long. It's like it's it's a beautiful beach. Um, so I was thinking about that. Cause I just like, I don't want to live in the city anymore. My apartment's on 15th and 6th, like Chelsea Union Square. And I just don't want, I just don't really. It's, it's just so high energy in New York. It just takes it out of me. And I mean, Union Square, Whole, Whole Foods and, 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 and Trader Joe's. It's like <laughs> a line wrapping around the block to get into, to get groceries. I, I, I want nothing to do with that. I want to, yeah. I want to go into the city to do art stuff, you know, yeah. but like, I don't need to live a life where I have people coming by my spot, you know, all day, or I'm in eight meetings or something like that's not life. I was already kind of done with that to begin with, but now like I'm very done with it. So I'm looking as I'm talking to you behind my screen is the ocean and the horizon and it's beautiful. And like, 
I like that. And, and I think I want to keep that. So if I could have that and be subway, you know, a 35 minute subway ride to the city, that's, that's a pretty good situation for me. So that, that's what I'm thinking that I'll do that either, you know, either next month or in, you know, a few months after the festivals. But, um, it seems like my, you know, I don't want to live in New York. I don't want to live in cities. I want to live like in Oaxaca and stuff like that. But if I'm, if I have the money to make the film and it's, and I have the regulations on my side, I want to do it. So I will, I will live in New York if that's, if that's why I'm living in New York. Yeah, Otherwise yeah. I'm going to get the fuck out and I'm going to go back to Oaxaca. You know, <laughs> Mexico is not running away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been Sean, a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I'll send you some shit. Excited to get your opinion. And um, keep in touch. Cool. I'm happy, happy yes. we know each other now. <laughs> yeah, likewise. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Enjoy the and, and almost weekend. So have a nice week. Yes. yes. Thank you, man. Hey. Thank you. See you. Bye. If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in Tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair.